Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of The Rating Room Extra. This one we're titling Dexter's Sleigh Ride, a festive forensic holiday. Jay, what we're going to be doing in this month's special is we're going to be talking about all things Christmas. Tis the season after all. We're going to be talking music and TV and films and all that kind of good stuff. But first, let's uh, let's get a bit personal, shall we? So, Jay, what does a typical Christmas look like in your household? So, Andy, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to happy holidays. non-Christmas sufferers slash celebrators. <laughs> Yes. Happy festive period. Now, my Christmas... So I'm going to say this, Andy, is what I do now. So obviously I've got two kids. So Christmas is a very early start. And my wife moaned at me one year. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, actually, because I was the first one up. I was up at half five um, and actually woke the kids up. But usually we get up about half five, six o'clock, do Christmas stockings in bed. Uh, kind of see what Santa's, you know, giving the kids. Then we go downstairs. Um, we kind of look at the presents, but so we can't open the presents yet. I put on some Christmas music. I make some hot drinks. And then we start to open Christmas presents. Now, once we've done presents, I've kind of introduced a, a Christmas tradition. I don't know if you have something, but I didn't have this as a kid. We do bacon sarnies. So that's like a little Christmas um, tradition for breakfast. It's not something we'd, you know, like I said, I had as a kid. I just remember having Cocoa Pops um, when I was a kid. So it's something we started when we got the house and kids. Then, a bit boring, really, it's starting to prep Christmas dinner because we tend to have Christmas dinner at our house. We just have my parents, the in-laws, and we just keep alternating. So that's my typical Christmas. What about you, Andy? Do you have something similar? Do you stay at home or do you go to in-laws or elsewhere? Do you have it? Do you, do you go into restaurants? Some people go to pubs, don't they? Some people do. I've never been out for Christmas um, since I, I met my lovely wife. I've been to her parents' house every year. So this year will be our 20th Christmas together. Um, so there'll be 20 in a row. Um, it's funny you mentioned bacon sandwiches because that was something that uh, the in-laws introduced a few years back. Bacon and sausage butties or breakfast butties. Kind of 10, 30, 11-ish just to fill that gap between presents and and dinner they do they do a great spread to be honest so i always look forward to food it's all about food really you know as a kid it's all about presents and santa like you said but as an adult it's all about food it's not about the presents anymore um i've got a son as well he doesn't really understand christmas so um it's just another day for him but uh with lots more presents but it's it's always good to see the look on his face when he Finds his latest dinosaur because he's bound to get dinosaurs. That's that's his thing. <laughs> um, but no, very similar to you. And then between Christmas and New Year, we'll have people over for just like a buffet or um, maybe like do a meal of my own for for my dad and brother. Um, but yeah, nice, nice and simple. I like to keep it. We do Christmas buffet. Tend to be because we fill ourselves up with food on Christmas Day. Boxing Day tends to be the the buffet day. Yeah, leftovers. Leftovers are always good on Boxing Day, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. And one thing I, I forgot to mention, Andy, is after doing breakfast is usually spent making kids' toys up. So last year I was doing 
like dollhouses and stuff. So, um, yes, the joys of um, being a parent. And I agree with you, Andy. I think once you're an adult, it is very much about the Christmas food. I agree. Because as a kid, it's very much getting excited. And I used to be one of those kids um, that would just struggle um, to sleep at night. And you just want to, like sometimes, I think some people would go to bed really early, but then struggle to get to sleep. Or some people might try to stay up late, but then, oh no, Santa might not come if, if I'm awake still. That excitement of the next day, isn't it? That's what that's what keeps you awake. Now, I've got a question about Santa. And uh, if your kids are listening, just, you know, cover your ears a second. Do your kids still believe in Santa? Well, that... <laughs> I've got to be careful what I say, Andy, because of my daughter is actually in the next room. So um, we we have never explicitly stated otherwise. Well played. But I suppose um, something I, I read that was quite interesting is, do you believe in the idea of Santa or do you believe in the idea that all the adults across the world are all in the same line you know everyone's kind of got their story synced millions of parents that's that's um, deep that is all. deep yeah. <laughs> so yes never explicitly stated otherwise um but yeah i remember um believing in santa for for, for a very long time you see i i don't remember a time when i used to believe in santa so i don't remember that time when i stopped because I, and I think it may have been because of a book I had or read as a very young child, which explained the story of the real life Santa Claus or the you know Saint Nicholas. So I always had in my mind that it's this historical figure, and then Santa Claus is just based on that. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a a bit of a Scrooge in that in that regards, I guess. But um, <laughs> I like you know I like the idea of Santa. It's uh, it's a nice, friendly enough story. My dad, who is in his mid seventies. He still believes in Santa, or at least he claims he does, because he says as soon as you stop believing, that's when you grow old. And he is he is still a child at heart, which I think that's quite a nice a nice message. And, you know, he's just, or he could just be a deranged old man who still thinks Santa's real. Could be that. And Andy, going back to last week's episode, will you be having your Christmas due on Christmas Eve this year? Um, I will not. As, as of this recording, I had my work Christmas due last night. Hence the raspy voice you may <laughs> you may detect at times. Um, it was it was a very civilized affair. Nobody drank too much and nobody got into any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> there was no, there was there was no there was no trouble, but it was uh, a lot of alcohol was uh, consumed. A lot of very expensive alcohol was consumed, like like about ten quid a drink, which was. Uh, yeah, for a tight bogger like me, it was a bit of a shock to the system, has to be said. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's continue our our festive fun. Let's talk about Christmas presents, shall we? Um, either as a kid or as an adult, do you have a a favourite all time Christmas present? So there's one. So uh, yeah, there's been lots of good presents I've had through the years, Andy. If I'm being honest, um, I don't come from a wealthy family, but I think. I don't know how you've had it. I, I always had growing up as a, a main present. And one year, um, my brother and myself, so at that time I only had one brother, 
we were very fortunate to actually get an Amiga 500. So I, I know obviously I'm a little bit older than you, so you might not be aware of what an Amiga 500 is, but it was the, the computer that kind of changed everything for me. So before that, um, I was very active and I used to play football in my spare time. I was one of those kids where you come home from school, you're out playing football. Um, at weekend, you just go out early, just play football all day, build dens, then come home at night. The Amiga 500 changed everything. So it was the Amiga 500. It came with 512 kilobytes of memory. So, you know, that, that was quite a bit then in those days. And I I still think of some of the classic games, actually. So some of these, Andy, you, you might be aware of, you might not. So the ones that kind of spring to mind is Lemons, Sensible World of Soccer. I used to love that game. Cannon Fodder, um, again, is, is a brilliant game. Speedball 2 um, is, is another one. Worms, which I think you probably would have heard of because there's been multiple worm games on like various platforms as well. North and South was uh, a, a good game as well. Championship Manager was the... The, the first football management game that I got into and I've played Championship Manager um, for a number of years. It's called Football Manager now, actually. So uh, I was used to get that every year. And a game called Golden Axe I, I used to play as well. And I just want to do a couple of shout-outs as well to a, a few games. The Settlers, Civilization, Wings and Supercars 2. So it brought out quite a few memories. Any of those games you're familiar with, Andy, or this way before your time? No, no, I'm familiar with a few of those. I may have even had an, an Amiga. I'm not sure if it was an Amiga 500, but an Amiga of some sort at some point. I certainly remember the Commodore 64, which I guess is of a similar ilk. And I remember the likes of Championship Manager, Sensible World of Soccer. Um, one of my favourite games, and I can't remember if this was an Amiga or a Commodore game, or, but it was certainly... A keyboard based game but it was uh dizzy you know the the little egg, egg yeah dude. yeah yeah adventures of dizzy or whatever it was um that was a really addictive game but it was really annoying because you it, the way i remember it is you'd have like a little bit of a level on a screen and you'd either go left or right and take you to the next scene and you'd get so far along either left or right and there'd be like a locked door or something where you need to then find a key or find a password or something so you'd go all the way back and try and find all these secret levels and it oh Hours and hours of fun. So Amiga 500, so I believe the one after that was the Amiga 500 Plus, and then I believe there was Amiga 1000. But I think at that point, I probably transitioned to gaming consoles. So I actually, I can't remember what age I was. I must have been about 16, actually. I actually got a like a weekend job, and I remember buying the the very first console I had was a PlayStation One. And I remember buying that with my own money, you know, from my little weekend job. So the Amiga Five Hundred kept me going for a good few years. I can't remember when I first got that, but I was definitely in secondary school. And like I said, I would just spend. I used to get up early and just be on it pretty much all day. But I had to share it with my other brother because it was a joint present. Um, but even now. Like over the years, I sometimes download a, a PC emulator. So I just download that Amiga 500 emulator and about play the old game. And I do it on my phone as well. But it's in, the, in the Amiga 500, um, you mentioned the keyboard, but um, I used to use a joystick. So instead of a gaming control, it used to be an actual joystick. 
and um, it's just so hard playing these games now on your little phone even though you get a virtual joy pad don't you it's, it's not the same at all yeah i, I remember downloading a, a sonic game for my phone and you had to kind of use your, your phone sideways but then tap the screen like so you're holding it like a um like a joypad not not a joypad um you know like the the, the more modern style uh, yeah like a game. gaming controller yeah. But obviously there weren't buttons, so it's just certain parts of the touchscreen, and you'd yeah, hope that it registered yeah. what you pressed. So that was that was quite fascinating. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it's funny you mention that as uh, as your favourite because yeah, g- gaming is kind of my theme as well in terms of my favourite present. Um, so I remember as a twelve, thirteen year old, whatever it was, getting an N sixty four for Christmas, and we we talked about this in a previous episode got the game golden eye which i played for months and months and months tremendous game and the other the other game i really love for the n64 was f1 world grand prix i'm a big f1 fan but i'd say i'd say my all-time favorite was probably one that my wife or my then girlfriend now wife got me and that was the playstation portable the psp and um i've got a few games with that and i've got a few are they called UMDs, where it's like films or things? So you know, the, the yeah, yeah, called yeah. UMDs, uh, and I've still got that. You know, I've not played it for a while, but every so often I'll charge it back up and <laughs> stick in something like um, probably something like SmackDown versus Raw, because you can play as general manager. So you can, rather than wrestling, you can like run the show and book the matches and make money, and you've got to like compete against the other show to see which show's best, so you get more ratings, etc. It's you know. I guess it's the wrestling equivalent of football manager kind of thing. Uh, so so occasionally I'll, I will dig that out. And I've also got F1 2009 for for the PSP as well, which is a tremendous game. So yeah, it doesn't matter what console, it's always wrestling, F1, and a little bit of FIFA now and again. So F1, Andy, I don't know if it would be the same game that I had on the Amiga 500, but I used to play an F1 game, so I'm not into Formula 1. However, I remember playing the F1 game, and you could turn um, off kind of like certain rules in the game. And I always used to play. I used to like do, you know, play the game properly in seasons, but I would always, if I just wanted to mess about, I always load up Monaco. And you could drive your car the wrong way. So I would just have the objective of, say, I set the laps to 10. I would have the objective is to wipe out every other car before mine breaks. And because you could turn off your own damage as well. So I just go the wrong way. And because it's Monaco and it's obviously streets, you could just cause carnage. So I used to love doing that. But that was like an F1 game. So, you know, I can't remember what it was called, but that, that was fun. Because I remember... Um, the, I think it's the Brazilian Grand Prix where you, you, you go through the start and it has quite a fast winding corner and I always remember it's either the first or second corner so you kind of go left and it's kind of a right like pretty much a right and you kind of swing and I always remember if I didn't get the brakes right I just go flying off the first corner cutting it and then hitting it like again like back onto the track um, but no Cause and another game, Andy. Because I think, yeah, I think you've had PlayStations, haven't you? Yeah, or you've got, yeah. you've got a PlayStation. I've currently, currently got PS4. So I don't know if you had a PlayStation One, and I don't know if they if they made the game for later consoles. Do you remember a game called 
Destruction Derby. Yes, I do. Yeah, that was excellent. Yeah, I, I had that on PlayStation, yeah. Cause I just, just thinking about crashing um, Formula 1 cars, I remember doing that as well. So, yeah, causing some destruction. I never had a PSP. I think my first handheld gaming um, device was a Lynx. Oh, so I yeah, I remember those. the Lynx, yeah. I know, I've never yeah, had one myself, my... but I know I remember them being out at the time quite... Because yeah. they were the answer to the Game Boy, weren't they? Uh, yeah, because I'm not really a Nintendo fan, if I'm honest. So we've we've had the odd Nintendo um, while being an adult, but definitely not as a kid. Um, and it's it's Xbox. So I stopped gaming um, earlier this year, Andy. I, I tried to... I found it was a bit of um, taking up too much of my time. So I tried to... I moved away from gaming, and um, much to the disdain of my little daughter who keeps trying to get me to play and I'm going no I can't but <laughs> I mean I'm like grumpy because they're like no I've got to like be cold turkey I can't like go back on it and try yeah, to get it's, it's difficult to find um, the time again and you end up yes. using up time that would be better spent elsewhere running a an international podcast Andy exactly yeah yeah we, we could just be gaming right now and no one would be listening to us talking what we're talking about which is about games <laughs> <laughs> So Andy, you, you've asked us what is the the favourite Christmas present. Flipping it around, do you have a a worst Christmas present? Two come to mind. Uh, one is shoelaces. <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> Just got shoelaces. One year, but the the absolute worst. What and it was the only present I got from from said person who I won't name. Um, was a tub of Twiglets, the snack, the very distasteful, dry, boring snack. I just, I just don't know what they were thinking. So I think you need to add a bit of context with your shoelaces and the Twiglets. What kind of age were you? Are you talking about adulthood or being a child? Uh, in my twenties, for both. <laughs> so you know, I'm not too bothered about presents these days. You know. It's for the kids, isn't it, and all that. And I'm, you know, I'm a pretty happy guy. I've got got a lot to be thankful for. I'm very, very lucky. But come on, like it's better to just not bother, isn't it? Shoelace it, yeah, yeah. We've, I tried, We've got some random presents as a couple. Um, before, I'm, I'm trying to think. My mum buys us some random presents, and um, he's just like. No, we don't. She bought my... So, Andy, I know this is not my worst Christmas present, but my my mum bought my wife a sewing machine one year, and I can tell you it's never been used. And my wife doesn't do any sewing. It's a random, <laughs> random present. My, my wife gets annoyed by... I want, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out him. It's my dad. You know, he's old <laughs> and he's... He, He's very old school in some of his thinking, but several, several times he has bought my wife cookbooks or sewing kits or something of that nature that he thinks a woman should have. Does your wife like cooking? Nope. No. <laughs> no. She will cook occasionally, but I tend to do most of the cooking. Uh, um, okay. But, you know, once is one thing, but when it's like, many years in a row so, <laughs> it, it sometimes is um 
yeah, it's, it gets a, it gets a bit much. But he's uh, he's a, he's a bit of an old school sexist in that regard. <laughs> you know, just you know, he's he's of his time. Well, I don't. I don't recall having anything as bad as your presence, Andy. And I felt I'm going to be a bit boring because I don't think I've ever been disappointed per se. I mean, you know, like we've both just said, we're, we're older now. So I think even things like socks and pants, which I've asked for again this year, actually, have a practical use. Um, I do recall once, though, when I was a kid, that one of my brothers and I, we, we both used to list a, a number of films. So you remember VHSs, Andy, you're not that young. And one year, Santa gave us the the wrong film. So I got this film. My brother got that film. But actually, those films were on the opposite Santa list. So after we did all the presents, went upstairs, we just did swapses. So that's the only time. But I can't unfortunately remember what those films were. But I remember swapping the VHS. So Santa does make mistakes occasionally. He's clearly reading off the wrong list. He's, a, he's overworked and underappreciated, isn't he? So you've got to cut him some slack sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And it's probably quite drowsy from all the cookies as well. Yeah. What do you do? You put anything out for Santa? I don't. It's it's wasted. But uh, if I did, it would probably be a note telling him to work faster and more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> we we put out a. A little um, a plate with milk because you know we don't leave alcohol because I know some people leave alcohol out for Santa, and we do a mince pie and a carrot for the reindeers. There you go. You got to look after the animals. They're they're doing the hard work. But we mentioned not really about the presents, it's about the food. So uh, here's my next question to you: What would you say is your ideal Christmas dinner? So Andy. I've never really discussed this with people, so I'm a bit apprehensive about telling you because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what we have for Christmas dinner, and I don't know it's the norm because this is how I kind of got brought up, so I think it it's kind of normal, but it might not be. So we've kind of carried on the tradition of, um, especially my parents. I would have to ask my wife if if they did it. So growing up, we would start with a prawn cocktail, you know. You know, we come from down south, so I don't know if that's a southern thing or not. And my dad doesn't like prawn, so you would have tomato soup. So we have a little starter, a little bit of bread, um, prawn, prawn cocktail, which is obviously prawns and salad with seafood sauce. Oh, I love Thousand Island seafood sauce. Oh, I love that. You're not selling it to me so far, I'll be honest. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> okay. Not, not my thing, so, but... Uh... So that's the starter. So the mains, um, I'm going... So we are quite traditional. However, my wife doesn't necessarily like turkey. So we do have turkey, but we've we've tried goose, pheasant. We've cha- you know we've, we've done I think mostly done beef and other meats. But I would I would say traditionally turkey, roast potatoes, stuffing, Yorkshire pods, pigs in blankets, gravy, vegetables. <clears throat> now I asked um, my daughter what they would have and they would say cauliflower cauliflower cheese but I don't like cauliflower cheese so I would keep that off of my list and I can't remember if you're a big vegetable fan I've got a feeling I'm you're not, not I'm a real memory. fussy eater yes. yeah, so the vegetables <laughs> are that. nowhere near my plate so and then for pudding is black forest gatto and that's what I had as a kid so 
that's um, yeah like I said a bit apprehensive because that is how I kind of got brought up so I've kind of carried on that tradition with with my family so what about you Andy what's your what would be your Christmas dinner growing up but then also what have you kind of done as you know with your own family so we would never have starters and we still don't we tend to just be mains and dessert so we wouldn't have starters. I mean last night I had, I had a starter because uh, you know you do that these days when you go out but uh, starters at home are never really a thing in my house um, but yeah, I mean, what you've listed for your mains is basically what we would have. The, now, I do have a question, because this is uh, a, a bone of contention. Roast potatoes and mashed potatoes would be mine. Do you have? Do you prefer one over the other, or is that too many potatoes yeah. if you have the mash? I, I find it quite strange when you go to carveries and you get the mix of roast and mash, because I would never mix potatoes on any of many potato types as you can get (laughs) and particularly because i don't like vegetables like roast potatoes and mashed potatoes that's like three quarters of my plate yeah i suppose if you're not getting any of your your greens and carrots and stuff then you need to kind of fill up your plate but i i would say a good quarter of my plate is veg and then it's like the other bits because I do like vegetables. But no, roast potato because I'm not a big fan of mashed potato. I have mashed potato on, like, say, shepherd's pie and stuff. But I don't like, you know, sausages and mashed potatoes and stuff like that. It wouldn't be my go-to meal. So you would have, would you have mashed potatoes plain or would you have, like, a cheesy mash? What plain, just plain. Yeah, nothing, nothing too exotic. But yeah, it would always be turkey growing up. Pigs in blankets are an absolute must. As are Yorkshire puddings. There's no, uh, there's no getting away from that. Uh, like you, in recent years, we've we've not always had turkey. Sometimes it'll be um, roast beef, or it might be chicken. But uh, when I when I cook, I tend to do beef rather than turkey. In the last few years, in the in the slow cooker for you know, eighteen, twenty hours, or whatever it may may be, and it just <laughs> kind of peels away. I'm quite, you know, it's it's, it's my one. Meal that I cook that's okay because I'm not much of a cook, but that that's the one I can I can get away with. I do it quite nicely, um, and then then pudding. You know, you mentioned black forest gatan. It's a good choice. Growing up would always be Christmas pudding, just because that's that's the rules. It'd be Christmas pudding, probably with custard or cream. But in more recent years, it would be uh, like maybe a chocolate sponge pudding or trifle, something something like that, which uh, I quite enjoy because. Christmas pudding, it's not that great, is it? Let's be honest. It's a, it's a bit stodgy and heavy and just... Yeah, yeah, we don't like it. Yeah. So um, we didn't grow up with Christmas pudding, so Black Forest Gatto is the, the thing that we kind of grew up on. Last year, Andy, you, ate, you made that little joke about 20 hours. Because of the volume of guests that we came, had came up for Christmas dinner last year, our turkey that I made wasn't big enough, so I did two lots of meat, and I did the gammon in the slow cook with Coke. I think it was like Diet Coke or something to neutralize the, the salt. Um, and I, I can't have gammon, really, because of my blood pressure, so I had to avoid like salt, salty stuff. Um, so, yeah, last year we had a, a selection of meats. So it was, it was a, I remember being really tired in the evening because it was a long day cooking. What what's the uh, the strangest meal you've had? Like if you've been out on a works do or invited out somewhere, what's the what's the strangest meal you've had for a, for a Christmas do? Andy, I don't I don't go out much. 
um, as you probably know. So I remember one year, and I, I think it's weird because we, we kind of alluded to this last week when we were talking about Die Hard. So traditionally, we don't go out Christmas Eve, but I remember one year before we had kids, me and my wife, my girlfriend at that time, went out with my brother and his girlfriend, and I'm, I'm sure we went out for an Italian, which I think is, you know, a, a bit weird, like as in a Christmas meal. Um, but no, because we've we've always had, as a kid, it was always either my parents' house or my nan's, and then as a family here, it's pretty much always at our house. So I've never been... Because some people go to a pub, don't they, to have Christmas Day um, dinner and, you know, and stay there for the day. I've never done that. So I think I've always been quite traditional. Like I said, when we first moved into the house, we, we tried goose and pheasant. And, you know, they they were okay. But we, we've moved back to turkey or beef or anything. So I won't say there's necessarily anything bad. We, we've, we've kind of um, tried different things like you know a bit boring but we tried different stuffings pigs and blankets you can't go wrong Yorkshire puddings I would vary going for like the the smaller type or the bigger ones just to mix it up like that like I said my kids will have cauliflower and cheese um but no and pudding black forest gatto I'll probably say we have pretty much every year I can't remember doing anything different and starters my wife might have smoked salmon um, with prawn cocktail but I would always kind of keep to prawn cocktail because otherwise only probably only have prawns less than 10 times in a year do you like prawns? I'm, I'm not a big seafood fan there so prawns um, I love prawn cocktail crisps but they're not the same thing <laughs> they're not no what about you Andy? have you had any disasters? Uh, no real disasters uh, but um, I did go a little bit different last night for my, for my Christmas do because I went with the festive burger rather than the traditional turkey. So I started with pate, which is which was really good. But I went with the festive burgers thinking that sounds intriguing. It was basically a double bacon cheeseburger with a pig in blanket on top. <laughs> that, was, that was a festive. <laughs> it's really nice, don't get me wrong, really, really nice. But it, it wasn't it didn't scream Christmas except for the pig in blanket on that was resting on top with a spike through it. <laughs> Just to keep it there. <laughs> uh, but then chocolate brownie for for dessert. Now that was yeah. good. I do love a brownie. But no, yeah, I've never I've never done anything too exotic or strange from from a Christmas meal perspective. But I know some people like to mix it up. The, I was going to say my works do are out tonight, and I, I've been boring and not gone. They've gone to uh, a tapas bar for their works do, which is a bit different. Do you know what? I've been to a tapas for Christmas as well. That was just brought to mind. But this was made what thirteen, fourteen years ago. Uh, so, but it was during the day, a work thing, and yeah, just various different i think it was greek tapas rather than spanish tapas um yeah that was just just a, a small meal i think maybe five or six of us uh, for christmas yeah. but yeah yeah no it was quite nice and i know um a a relatively new tradition in japan is for christmas day meals at kfc really <laughs> didn't sure where that cuz christmas is i don't think is really celebrated in japan but it's become kind of a Something of a tradition in Japan that KFC is the is the meal of choice on Christmas Day. Interesting, interesting. So, Andy, you, you've mentioned that you've gone to your in-laws all the time. Do they do they keep it kind of consistent, or do they mix things up with the meat? 
meat cha- has changed over over the years. They've they've got like I said, they've gone away from turkey in recent years, but it tends to be it tends to be a choice of two or three, and so I'll, I'll mix things up. So it might be like beef and chicken, or but I think did they do duck one year? They might have done duck one year. I'm not sure, but uh, I think we've done duck. Yeah. Gen generally, it's usually very very good. So uh, co- compliments to my in laws on on Christmas, and I look forward to another one in. Uh, well, in a few days as this is released. Yeah. Do you do Christmas crackers? We don't anymore because it scares the dogs. Okay. So this, this would was you a do point Christmas? of conversation last night, actually. It's like, <laughs> like Christmas crackers are tradition, aren't they? You've got to. But the dogs get they, a bit so freaked out. Would you do Christmas crackers before or after your meal? We've got to do it before so you can wear the crown on your head whilst you're eating. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, we do it afterwards. So that's we do it before. Sorry, we do it after the mains, but uh, before dessert. But your point is valid because yes, wearing the hat. So should we should we bring things round to more of our usual topics of the rating room? Um, so this is one we introduced in our monthly special last time, and it's sounds of the rating room. Thought we'd talk a bit more music, but since it's Christmas, let's talk Christmas songs, shall we? So, Jay, what are some of the Christmas songs on your festive playlist? So, I do like Christmas songs, Andy, but two things. I prefer listening to the older Christmas songs, and also, I don't like listening to Christmas songs too early. So, I don't know if you started to listen to Christmas songs yet, or not at the time of recording we're recording this on the 8th so Andy have you listened to any Christmas songs yet this year? A few yeah it has to be December you can't listen to any in November that's just not right so 1st of December is the absolute earliest. Okay so I've not listened to any outside of any films so you know you you might have heard a song in films I've not listened to any but I must say Andy I do not like listening to so uh, if you listen to I know you listen to Spotify. If you listen to any Christmas songs on Spotify, when I'm flicking through them and it's like Kelly Clarkson, Justin Bieber, I'll be like, skip straight away. It has to be kind of like the older ones. So things like um, Wham, Last Christmas, um, John Lennon, Happy Christmas, War Is Over, and Chris Ree, uh, Driving Home for Christmas, Johnny Mathis, When a Child Is Born. Those are like my my favorites. I would say they're kind of I don't want to, I don't know if they're traditional, but very much eighties, aren't they? They're, they're Johnny the Mathis classics, would be a yeah. Bit yeah, I think they're the classics. In fact, um, Johnny Mathis, When a Child Is Born, I um, was part of the choir at school that sang When a Child Is Born in the really? Christmas concert one year. Nice, so nice, nice, and. I just want to say, I just want to put on this rec- on, on the record here, Andy, because I know this is a very popular song, but I hate the Mariah Carey song, All I Want for Christmas is You, because I, must, I just hate it because you hear it everywhere, and I just don't think it's a good song. But I'm sure when they do, every year they seem to always do like a top 100 Christmas songs or whatever. That is always in the top five, if not number one, and I just hate it. So, Andy... What what's your thoughts? Do you like the more traditional ones, or do you like the modern ones? What what's your flavour? Generally, I would say more the traditional ones. I think Mariah Carey's song I can put up with. The one I can't put up with is "Fairy Tale of New York." Massively overrated in my view. I like um, that one. I like that. Nah, it's just it's not for me. 
it's not for me. I know everyone raves about that. That's another one that's always like top of the people's list of greatest Christmas albums, but no, it's uh, overrated. Um, but yeah, some of the others you've listed, absolute bangers. I like um, Merry Christmas Everyone by Shaking Stevens. You've got, is it uh, Mud, Lonely This Christmas, you know, Cliff Richard, I quite like some of the Cliff Richard ones that he's released. My absolute favourite has to be Step Into Christmas by Elton John. That's a real toe-tapper. But there are some, uh, shall I say, alternative songs that I like. So the Blink-182 have done done a few, like uh, Happy Holidays, You Bastard, and I Won't Be Home for Christmas, so they're nice alternatives. Or Corey Taylor has done a Christmas song in recent years as well. And one that I think it was released like 15 years ago, but I only heard it for the first time last year, and it was The Hives and Cindy Lauper did a song called Christmas Jewel, which... Um, it's not very festive, actually. It's 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 singing about pretty shitty Christmases in terms of what <laughs> what they get up to, but uh, a good song nonetheless. I like Cindy Lauper. I, I do struggle with Christmas songs because I just don't think new Christmas songs or you know stuff modern ones are just not up to their level. There's there's very few modern ones that I would listen to. I mean. Lad Baby's been Christmas number one for about 18 years or whatever it is, just lately. No, it's not good. And uh, don't get me on my high horse about his charity stuff, because, you know, he's made himself a millionaire by claiming to do charity work, so he can f*** right off. <laughs> so I, I've only heard of that um, person, or couple, whoever it is, um, last year, so all these years that they've been famous, air quotes, um, and I think it was last year, and it's only because... Did they do one with Martin Lewis? I think they did, was that, yeah. Was that last year? And that's the only reason. I'd never heard of him before, but then I started Googling them, and then I was finding that, um, yeah, they're not necessarily nice people. Yeah, they're quite um, local to us as well. Yeah, yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah, Because um, my wife thought, um, told me some stuff she saw on social media. I think they played pranks on each other or something, um, but I did read about charity work as well. And um, I don't want to get into politics. But, no, we should, I should be careful. Yeah. We don't want to slander them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, people seem to have fallen for some of their shtick um, in recent years. But, yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of, like, the last good Christmas song. Yeah, the, the most recent good Christmas song that was released. And it's very difficult to think of anything beyond, say, The Darkness. Um, oh, yeah. Which yeah. was, what, 15, 20 years ago now? Yeah, it's a while ago, was. isn't it? That, but uh, I, I bet it's twi- I bet it's twenty years or there or thereabouts. But I can't think of a Christmas song that's been recorded and released since then that's any good. Even when new bands cover old songs, I don't like. Yeah, there's yeah, not many covers. Do. I mean, Band Aid Twenty was released. What was that? I mean, two thousand four. And they ruined that, because the original Band-Aid was a classic. Band-Aid 2 was all right, you know, the poppy version from 89, that was fine. But the, the Band-Aid 20, no, just ruined it. I remember not liking it, but I couldn't tell you who was in the 21. But I remember, I like the, the original one, but I, can't, I couldn't tell you. Who, who was in it, do you remember, in the 20? I don't remember all, but they had some parts that were rapping that were unnecessary. Bono recreated his line that he did in the original band-aid and messed up his own line 
also made it sound terrible. I think Coldplay may have been part of it as well. Uh, I can't think. I can't think of the others, but yeah, it wasn't good. Some some things are just best left alone. So, Andy, I've just Googled it, a bit of live Googling. So I can see people like Daniel Bedingfield, Natasha Bedingfield, Bono, like you said, Busted, Kat Dealey, which I didn't think she was a sinner, but apparently um, she she did it. Like you said, Coldplay, Dido, Dizzy Rascal, Miss Dynamite, Estelle, and then, oh, you, you mentioned The Darkness, Justin Hawkins was in it as well, uh, Jamelia, um, a couple of people from the band Keen, uh, someone from All Saints, someone from Snow Patrol. Then you got Rachel Stevens, which was that S Club Seven? S Club Seven, yeah. Uh, Sugar Babes, Robbie Williams, Will Young, and some other people that I, I don't, you know, recognise their their names, but quite a few. Yeah, all that quote-unquote talent, and, uh, <laughs> and that's what what they released. Indeed. So, moving on, um, I've slightly hijacked this next section. So, Andy introduced this new segment in our very first monthly special, um, Sequels and Serial Killers, and it's a stolen question. So, last time Andy posed a question to me, but we flipped it for this Christmas special. So, I'm going to pose this stolen question to Andy. And because we're doing a Christmas special this month, it's going to be Christmas themed. And I kind of mentioned this actually earlier on. Um, so Christmas theme question Andy what advice do you give so how do you get to sleep fast on Christmas Eve so any kids out there that want to kind of get their presents a bit quicker what kind of tips do you have it's it's one of those things isn't it as kids you you want to go to sleep because you don't want Santa to see you awake because you, I don't know if it's the same as you but you get told that if Santa sees you awake he's not going to leave you any presents but you try and force yourself to go to sleep and you can't get to sleep Still happens as an adult, I find as well. You know, if you've got something exciting the next morning and you find it difficult to get to sleep. So my advice to the kids out there, if uh, if you're listening, obviously make sure you kiss your parents good night and brush your teeth before you go to bed. Um, but then drink lots of alcohol. That'll do it. <laughs> if you know where your mum and dad keep their 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 whiskey or their vodka or anything, you know, it might be hidden up high. So you might have to climb on something to get up to the cupboard, or you may have to pick the lock. Um, but you know, get yourself a good half a bottle of whatever spirits are in there. That'll that'll knock you out for sure. That is sound advice, Andy. <laughs> Shall we put a dis- disclaimer in here that, that <laughs> <laughs> I said that for entertainment purposes only, and we do not condone <laughs> children drinking alcohol. I think, yeah, I I agree with everything you said minus the alcohol bit. I suppose. Do you have trouble? Um, getting to sleep and because being an adult I'm middle aged now I go to sleep quite quick because I'm so tired so I if if I've got something happening the next day like Christmas day I do look forward to a little bit but it's more like on my son's behalf but he like I said he doesn't really get it so it's not as big a deal but but it's more you know because there's something coming the next day so in the past where I've had like maybe a job interview or if it's my first day at work or if there's something happening the next day, something big, a big meeting or big presentation or whatever, I just I, maybe it's a worry thing rather than anything else. I just worry about it, or I get I get so amped up that I end up not sleeping well the night before. Um, so I guess it's it's a similar idea, I guess, but for different reasons. I don't sleep well, so I I'm a very light sleeper, Andy, and 
because of my age, I have to get up numerous times to go to the toilet. So I, I don't sleep well, but I don't necessarily have problems to get to sleep fast. It's just I'm a light sleeper. And talking about sleep, I'm going to tell you a little um, story about my mum, what she used to do as a kid. And it's not to, this isn't about sleeping fast, but this is something she told me as a child. So I'm not condoning this. So when my mum was younger, I don't know if they had alarm clocks or not, but what she recommended, <laughs> so what she told me was, if you hit your head, the number of times you want to wake up, that is what time you wake up. So I remember being a teenager, my mum was basically recommending that I hit my head. So I wake up at, say, six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning. That was the advice um, that she gave me. So, yes, that is something that just kind of came to me, Andy, when we're talking about going oh, I feel, to sleep. I feel like we should put another medical disclaimer on that as well, <laughs> that we're, we're not endorsing self-inflicted head injuries either. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's easier for kids now because, um, I don't know, um, like in your situation, Andy, but like we have uh, Alexa devices in the bedrooms. So you can just put on any kind of background music, any kind of soothing sounds, rainforest, space tunes or music or whatever, or like, you know, an audio book. Whereas when I was a kid, it was pretty much light off. That was it. I like to watch or listen to something before I go to sleep. Well, I think I mentioned in a previous episode that... You did, yeah, mention about watching TV. Uh, and Phoenix like, Nights used to be the thing I'd fall asleep yeah. to. These days I would, I would put a podcast on and um, just like have one earphone in and then find myself waking up in the night because I've fallen asleep and it's like tangled around my neck or something. (laughs) (laughs) That could be your wife just, you know, strategically placing it. It could be, you know. Yeah, could be. I need to check the insurance papers actually to see what the the, the deal of that is, yeah. But uh, yeah, just lately it'll be like Netflix specials or comedy specials. Um, Ones I've seen before, so I, I, I don't need to... Like pay attention as such, but just like it's weird because there'll be ones I enjoy and I find amusing, but it's kind of like a comfort thing, and I just fall asleep to people telling me jokes. It's, uh... Yeah, it, it, it's because we don't have a TV in the bedroom, so we, we're not in the same situation. But I, so if I, if we're podcasting or you know I'm on the computer at night, I struggle to go to sleep because you know you're your brain is like working so I have to kind of have that period of kind of um, I don't know if you say detox but you know that transition of turning off that electrical device or the tv before like so I might put on some music instead or something to kind of like you know otherwise my like if I'm working late or doing something your, your mind's just just working yeah I know what you mean ideas start coming to your head and it's like you can't act on them yeah but no, that, yeah, there we go. That's my official advice. Alcohol for kids is the way forward. Yeah, I just had to think. I, I remember going through a period, I think they were called calms. Calms? So I, I used to have trouble sleeping with it before kids, and it's like this little thing that you take at night that you can just get over the counter. I think it's called calms. It rings about. As opposed to, because they reckon lavender's good as well yeah, to help you we, sleep. Um, we had that for my son when he was a baby, but like the plug-in things, you plug them in and it like the the centre of the room is apparently supposed to relax you. I I find my hypno works as well, so that's a good one. There we go. 
that's another disclaimer that we we need to put on. Just just a joke. Don't don't cancel us. We're just having a little <laughs> bit of fun. Yes, let's swiftly move on. Andy. Let's move on. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, um, Jay, you were you were missing from the podcast for um, reasons unknown. I think you're just taking a night off. Nothing. You you were poorly. I was looking so. after puppies. I was looking, yeah, looking after, after puppies. Oh, and, yes, yeah. and of poorly. Yeah. And, and yeah. Poorly, so. Yeah. So I went solo, and I did. Uh, I did the first ever watch along. Which, um, if you've not listened to that, check it out. It's in the archives, in the usual places. But uh, I did it. The watch along of uh, what was at the time of release quite a big TV special in America. It was uh, Buddy's Musical Christmas, the follow up to Elf, and it got me thinking about Christmas TV because that's a bit of a staple of of Christmas, certainly for for us growing up, and even to this day. Um, so. Jay, what would you say are some of the best TV shows you've watched over the Christmas period in, in years past? I remember definitely watching Doctor Who Christmas specials because some TV shows build up to a Christmas special. Others might just have a, an episode at one, say for 20 episodes, and then you have a, a one Christmas-themed one. Where otherwise, some might focus, you know, doing a Christmas special like Doctor Who. I do enjoy the the Christmas episodes for The Office. That's the US version and the UK version. Also growing up though, so Andy, again, I don't know these kind of before your time. I remember watching Christmas specials like Birds of a Feather, The Detectives. The Detectives had a couple of Christmas specials as well. One Foot in the Grave. And those are the kind of ones where as a family, I remember sitting in the living room and and watching it together. Um, Last year though, I, I, I remember having I think either a week or two weeks off at Christmas because I, I strategically picked my days off to you know with the bank holiday so I, I had a nice chunk off last year and I discovered the BBC sitcom Ghost so I never come across it before and I was on BBC iPlayer I think I was watching Match of the Day and I came across Ghost and I just binge watched all the seasons I was getting up early I was getting up at say half six seven o'clock in the morning and I was watching a couple of episodes before the wiving kids got up so i really enjoyed ghost and then when i finished ghost i discovered that the the americans had remade the show so they had season one on bbc iplay as well so i watched the full season season one of the ghost so i really really enjoyed that um what about you andy is there any kind of um programs that you that kind of stand out or that you watch each year yeah, a few come to mind. So you mentioned like The Office, absolute classics. Love those. One Foot in the Grave. I remember a couple of those as well. Father Ted. Did you ever watch that? I don't like Father Ted. Not no. I, I loved Father Ted. The Christmas special where all the priests get stuck in the lingerie department is uh, is quite amusing. Um, in recent years, things like the Strictly Christmas special we've we've watched. We're big Strictly fans in our house. Big Fat Quiz of the Year, which is usually sort of in between Christmas and New Year. With uh, Jimmy Carr and panel of comedians, that's that's good. Uh, good that Channel Four one, channel, yeah, Channel Four, yeah, usually for like a couple of hours, and then they'll do. They've done off spins as well. They've done like big fat quiz of sport or big fat quiz of everything. Same kind of idea. Jimmy Carr hosts. A few teams of celebrities piss about and answer questions, and yeah, it's just just nice, a nice thing. Uh, Gavin and Stacey was pretty big, what, sort of, again, maybe 10, 15 years ago, but probably my absolute favourite, and, again, this, if memory serves me correctly, the first one, well, the one that comes to mind, I think, was 96, so I'd have been 12 at the time, was uh, Only Fools and Horses, 
absolute classic sitcom. Love, love, love Only Fools and Horses. And uh, the Christmas special where um, Del and Rodney dress up as Batman and Robin is it's still an absolute classic to this day and uh, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I definitely agree with you. The Only Fools and Horses ones and that one you said, Batman and Robin, is a standout one. They are... Because I remember some other ones, and I can't remember they were Christmas specials, though. Like, you know, the one that did, like, Miami Vice kind of one as well. But yeah. I can't remember that was a Christmas special or just a, a special. I thought that one. And then they did the ones, you know, where they they became rich, but then they did, like, another one where they lost the money. And wasn't there one that was kind of like, who wants to be a millionaire? But it wasn't kind of who wants to be a millionaire Oh, it was as well. Uh, yeah, like, was it like Jonathan Ross? Yeah, was it was it called something like the Gold Rush? They were on us. Yeah, it was. It was in a way. It's a shame they went that way because once they became millionaires, uh, that's like the perfect ending. Yeah, it's almost like they should have left, left it. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a common yeah, theme on this podcast when we talk about sequels and franchises and such. It's like sometimes you just need to leave well enough alone. Uh, but but yeah, absolutely fantastic. I've, I follow a um, Only Fools and Horses account on Instagram, and uh, they just post like various funny clips. And one that came up the other day was the, from the Batman and Robin Christmas episode, because they're trying to get to a fancy dress party. Only it's not a fancy dress party anymore because the guy who's hosting it had died, hadn't he? So it's it's his wake from his funeral. So Batman and Robin turn up, and everyone's wearing suit, black suits and black dresses. <laughs> Just, just <laughs> like, I think Boise didn't pass on the message, did he, or something? Or he let yeah. them walk in. Do you remember when yeah. he answers the door and he lets them walk in? But the the thing that that really made me laugh was uh, Trigger when he came up to them and said, oh, "I feel a bit foolish because I've come dressed as a chauffeur." <laughs> <laughs> Good old Trigger. Yeah, uh, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Only Fools and Horses was is like one of those you know when you kind of watch it as a family. Um, I think my dad might have the box set of the Only Fools and Horses. My my dad's obsessed with it. When whenever he comes round, or probably the same at home as well, because it's on uh, is it UK TV Gold or whatever the channel's called. Yeah, these days. it's always those ones. Yeah, um, it's 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 always on, so he's always watching it. Um, still, just as funny today as as they ever were. Gavin and Stacey is one of those TV programs that when it first came out, I never watched them. And it was only years later that I came across. I obviously heard about it, but I thought, you know, everyone's talking about how good they are. And then I just binge watched them. Um, also, it is a a good program. I do enjoy it. James Corden's a bit of um, like Marmite, isn't he, really? Um, Modern day James Corden. Yeah, I'm not a fan at all because he's turned into a right knob, hasn't he? <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I was same. I, I never watched them as they happened, but got into them again. It's one of those where you watch the Christmas special, I think that's fine. But if you don't watch the actual series, it's fine. You know, you don't you don't really need to follow it such. But yeah, they were they were pretty good. There's a few TV shows like that that people rave about, and you know, they're just like, oh, you've got to watch this, you've got to watch this, and then. Yeah, they never live up to the hype, do they? The the program that I can never... Well, there's two that jump to mind and I can't quite get the... Don't think I can get the name right for the second one. Is Little Britain. I could never get that. And, sorry, there's three. Little Britain, Fast Show, 
And then there's one that is it something like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or League of Gentlemen or something. Those three comedy programs, I could, I just never got the sense of humour. I quite like all about. of those. Yeah, League of Gentlemen is a very strange uh, show, but uh, it had its moments. Fast show, fast show I liked. I think I preferred Harry Enfield and Chums, okay. which was a lot of the same people, but for some reason I think the sketches in Harry Enfield and Chums just worked a bit better. Um, now, for me, the one that everyone raves about, and I just don't get it, is Shit's Creek. Yes, I, I agree. We I watched, watched two episodes, and that's I, it. I watched an episode. There was nothing funny about it. Oh, it's won so many awards for being hilarious. I was like, I don't get it. I'm like, what am I missing? Like, other than humour. Like, but <laughs> then people say, oh, no, you've got to stick with it. Go watch it. Like, no, I don't have to stick with it. You've got to hook me in from the start, otherwise I'm not going to spend any more time watching it. But... Uh, yeah, we we digress slightly. Um, let's let's get things back on track. Now we can't be on the rating room podcast without talking about films, can we? So let's let's talk about some of. Well, let's talk about some Christmas films, shall we? Since since that's what we're here for. So over the last few weeks, we've we've watched Elf and we've watched Die Hard, uh, and I've watched uh, a TV special of Elf as well. Um, but there's far more Christmas films out there than that. What, what, in your opinion, Jay, makes a good Christmas film? So, for me, Andy, my favourite type of Christmas film is the romantic type, so I, I am a bit soppy, and my wife um, says I like cheesy Christmas films. So I do like the heartwarming storylines um, as well, and obviously you've got to have a festive setting, so a lot of the Christmas films I like... Um, is the ones that are like in a in a little town or a city where you've got lots of snow, it's winter. So I do think you need that festive setting. And the humour, it doesn't have to be a laugh out loud film, but little bits of humour I do think help. And I think this is probably the most important point is there's usually a kind of a sprinkle of redemption and second chances. So they, they use the festive period for like personal growth and positive change. And I don't know if you, I'm, I'm not saying this is necessarily what makes a good film, but I don't know if you find it is a lot of the Christmas films I find is it usually involves a widow and a child. And it's usually that person finding in love with someone else. <laughs> but I do quite like that um, kind of theme, which is obviously nothing like, um, Elf that we've we've watched and Die Hard, but they are the kind of Christmas films I think um, I enjoy. But also, what I do think makes a Christmas film. What about you, Andy? What what kind of ingredients would you sprinkle into um, your ideal Christmas film? I mean, I tend to agree with a lot of what you've you've already said. I think when it comes to Christmas films, that's where I'm more, well, with with an exception, an obvious exception. Um, I like them to be family friendly. And it's got to have a happy ending. It's got to feel good, hasn't it? I mean, we talked about Elf a few weeks ago, and that's just a nice, happy, fun film. There's nothing egregious. There's nothing derogatory. It's just a, it's just a nice film. And like you said, it has that kind of ebb and flow, and you know, it gets down and then it redeems at the end, and everyone goes away with a happy ending. It's just yeah, it's got. It's, that's what a Christmas film. A, any other time time of the year. You know, let's put in as much sex and violence and horror and gore as you want. I'm fine with that. But 
When it comes to Christmas, you gotta you gotta keep it nice and nice and safe and and happy. So you won't be recommending Bad Santa. It's an all right film, but it's not it's not gonna top my Christmas list. Like as as a film, yeah, that's fine. But uh, if I'm if I'm wanting to get into the festive spirit, that's not the one I'm gonna be reaching for. <laughs> so, what are your favorite Christmas films, Andy? Well. You know, so we've talked about Die Hard and we've talked about Elf. Die Hard is my favourite Christmas film, which kind of goes against what I've just said a second ago, so that's, that is the outlier. Elf is definitely up there on the list. Um, but a few others that we may have talked about in a little bit of detail, but not greatly, is uh, Jingle All The Way, I think, is is just a fun uh, fun action film with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad, where they're, you know, they're chasing uh, Turbo Man. It's Turbo Time. That's, uh, that would have been a better impression of that. I'm not as hungover as I am. Right now, the Home Alone films, classics, again, you know, fun, frivolity, but nothing nothing outrageous. One we've watched in recent years is Arthur Christmas. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's an animated film. Um, seen it once. Is, yeah, it's all right. You know, it's a, n- a nice one to have on in the background. Uh, one that's uh, is a little bit hit and miss, but I quite enjoy, is uh, The Grinch. With the, with Jim Carrey, um, but there's 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 so many out there, but they're they're ones that tend to be on in my house repeatedly in the Christmas period. What what about you? What are some of your favourites? So I agree. So in no particular order, Andy, I do agree. Die Hard um, and Home Alone's one and two, the best Home Alone's. But just to kind of you know pick some other ones, Gremlins I do enjoy, and that kind of reminds me. Thinking about, you know, growing up. I remember watching Gremlins. Scrooge, we mentioned this previously, you know, with Bill Murray, is one of my, if not my favourite Christmas films. That is, that is a classic. That would be probably top three, top five for me as well. Yeah, very, very good film. Miracle on 34th Street, the the remake um, with attenborough and <laughs> we had this discussion last week where was it richard or david <laughs> it's richard isn't it yeah yeah and here um, we have santa claus <laughs> on his sleigh <laughs> that would be the um but honorable mentions as well it was the muppet christmas Carol. i do like that film love actually i uh, i do like you know like i said romantic films i do like love actually the holiday is one that I tend to watch every year. I watched it the other night as well. And Christmas with the Cranks, um, with Tim Allen, which is, you know, a, a throwback to our Tom Hanks season as um, Buzz Lightyear. I do like Christmas with the Cranks. I do find that quite funny. There, there's a scene with Jamie Lee Curtis and a sunbed and um, a tanning saloon, which is very good. Um, but this year, Andy... As at the date of recording, which I mentioned obviously earlier, 8th of December, I've already watched 15 Christmas films. And most of those films were direct-to-TV films, so films that I've never heard of. And they're really good because you load it up on your streaming platform, splash screen, name of the film, and then straight into the film. No messing about with any kind of pre-title sequences, no credit straight away. It's just straight into the film. And is with actors and actresses that I've never seen before or heard. And I just found them really cheesy, but really enjoyable. 
none none of the things that you've said earlier um in terms of kind of like your turn-offs really family friendly and i sent you a a, a picture didn't i a few weeks ago of all the front covers on this particular streaming app with did, yes. there's a, a consistent theme isn't there in terms of christmas films there, there seems is. to I'm, be obviously this is audio only so i can't share the picture with our listeners unless we we did something on on youtube but so uh, yeah i'm just just reminding myself ah here it is yes so you you sent me um the the titles and it seems to be a lot of people wearing red and green like couples, one with a red jumper, one with a green jumper. Oh, there's a couple, one with a red coat, one with a green coat. A red jumper and a green jumper. And a a red similar jumper and a pose as well, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, as well. A nice little setting in the background. I've shown some people at work at that as well. And then, oh, was on that screenshot I sent you? Was that the one that included Maddie? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> bottom left. Because <laughs> I'm guessing you like search Christmas, like, all in yes. the Christmas category. But yeah, bottom left of that screenshot, <laughs> Madeline McCann. The case, the case against Christian B. <laughs> right, yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. that was a, a very random one, but I do like Christmas films, and you know I'm planning to watch more. Um, but there are some really good ones um, that I've not listed that I, I will watch um, each year as well, and I just like them. They're, they're just easy watches, very cheesy um, as well. But any of the ones I mentioned, Andy, that you've not seen. I've not right. seen Christmas with the Cranks, I don't think. Oh, you have to watch that. That's funny. Yeah. I've seen... It's got look, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, yeah. I've, I've seen it advertised, but never never actually watched it. But, uh, yeah, the others... Muppet Christmas Carol, brilliant. Love that. Love Actually. Yeah, that's another good one. So it gets a lot of talk each year, doesn't it? Particularly the um, Alan Rickman character. And yes. What, and what a dirty bastard he is. Gets <laughs> <laughs> talked about the, quite a lot. Which storyline in Love Actually is your favourite? Uh, the two porn stars. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just yeah. so awkward. It's so yeah. awkward. Um, right. The whole the whole Keira Knightley thing. That's weird. Yeah, I think yes, that's a weird there's, one. There's rules about that sort of thing, you know. Bro code. Yeah. <laughs> I do think, yeah, there are some weird storylines, like I said, Adam Whitman. My favourite is the um, Colin Firth, you know, where he goes to uh, France, isn't it, to write his novel. And I think she's Portuguese, I think it is, or Spanish. Uh, that's my favourite one. And then um, I do like the Hugh Grant one as well. Yeah, it's, 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 a, good, it's a good film. Very, very, very cleverly done. Yeah. What about Gremlins? You've, you must Grim, have seen that. I've seen. Gr- I've not seen it for a long time, but I've seen it a few times growing up. Yeah, another. See, it's it's obviously a Christmas film, but I would, you know, I wouldn't necessarily see it as a Christmas film. I would think of it as a Christmas film when I'm like compiling a list, just like some people would argue Die Hard is not a Christmas film, and they'd be wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would I would never say Gremlins is not a Christmas film. It's just it's not forefront of my mind. Yeah. No. No. I agree, and Home Alone 1 and 2 is, um, are definitely the better film. Have you seen the others? The, uh, yeah, yeah, we've seen them all. Because um, obviously it's not, not Culkin, is it, is in the uh, no. three onwards? No, there isn't, and a f- one of them isn't too bad, um, the one with the little boy where he's poorly and he has to stay at home, 
um, the last one that they did, which from memory has the actor who played Bud in the first one, but he's obviously an adult. He's in it is shockingly bad. Um, we actually ended up turning it off um, as well because when it first came out, I think it came out on Disney Plus. We watched it and it was just like, oh, this is so bad. Um, this one, but yeah, they're my favourite films, Andy. Christmas films. So there you go. We've got a few recommendations there to get you into the the holiday spirit. Um, I'll just alert listeners to what's coming up over the next few weeks, and then we'll get into. Uh, Maybe the main portion of our of our show this week. Um, so for for listeners out there, by the time this drops, it'll be a few days before Christmas Day. Obviously, I hope you enjoy the the festive period in between Christmas and New Year. We are finally going to release the before promised interview with Toby, which he, in which he talks to us about all things Tom Hanks. So that will be released between Christmas and New Year. Then, as we get into January, we've got a few new episodes coming up. Um, for films, some films I've not actually seen myself, so this this will be um, new territory for me because I think so far, other than the TV special of Elf Buddy's Musical Christmas, the, uh, we've done all films that I've seen previously. But there's going to be some coming up that I've not, and the first one of those, as uh, as we get into 2024, is the film Interstellar. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that for the very first time and sharing my thoughts with you. Uh, the Usual Suspects, an absolute classic of a film. Looking forward to reviewing that with you, Jay, because it's been a few years since I've seen that one, so is, is it still the classic I remember it being? I guess we'll find out. Um, the Hangover is another film we're going to attempt to review. Um, and our next monthly special, we're thinking something along the lines of remakes. We did sequels last month. Obviously, this month is Christmas. Next month, we're thinking something to do with remakes. So listen out to that in the coming weeks and months but uh shall we get on to season two of dexter right jay let's leave christmas behind just for a little while and get on to our other main topic and that is season two of dexter now last month in our first monthly special we went through all things season one and we ended with dexter and deb celebrating at a parade-like event that was actually just a figment of Dexter's imagination. And we also had Rita kind of had her first suspicions that maybe Dexter's not exactly who he claimed to be. So it kind of set the tone for what was to come. But what was your feeling at the end of season one and what were your expectations going into season two? So the thing I like about how season one ended was the kind of the reveal around Rita and Paul's missing shoe because at that point in time if I recall correctly there was no doubt in Rita's mind about Dexter and this is kind of the first the first seeds of doubt that kind of came in and I like how it then kind of ended so that's like you don't see Rita anymore until season two I wasn't overly keen about the kind of like the parade Dexter got because does that kind of symbolize that he wants to be a hero you know he, he seems to be very content to kind of fly under the radar in season one and not to bring any attention to himself. But he seems to enjoy they've taken down the ice truck killer and he's getting all this attention. Yeah, it's almost like he wants his ego feeding, doesn't it? Which, does that go against what Dexter stands for? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But uh, an interesting idea nonetheless. 
I thought it was I thought it was a good ending. Certainly let you know that it wasn't the end of the story. More was to come. Without without really explaining what. But uh what is what we're gonna talk about next, isn't it? Because season two was uh, was released a year later. We'll just give the listeners a bit of a summary of what season two entails, and then we'll go a little bit episode by episode, shall we? So in season two of Dexter, Dexter Morgan continues to live his double life as a blood spatter analyst for the Miami Metro PD and the vigilante serial killer we know and love, targeting other criminals who have escaped justice. And Dexter's grappling with his dark urges, um, the season unfolds, and there's an increased tension and this complexity as well with Sergeant James Dopes, which, you know, if we recall from season one, one of Andy's favourite characters. And Dokes is becoming suspicious of Dexter's activities as well. He is, and not only that, Dexter's personal life takes a bit of a turn this series. As his relationship with girlfriend Rita is texted, is, as his relationship with girlfriend Rita is tested. And we also had the introduction of Sergeant Frank Lundy, who's going to be an important player in this season. And he's being brought in to investigate a new series of gruesome murders known as the Bay Harbour Butcher. Yeah, and of course, Dexter has got to skillfully navigate the precarious balance between his facade as a normal human being and his deadly compulsion, all while facing unexpected challenges that threaten to expose his true nature. That feels like a good good way to, to tease what we're about to talk about. So let's um, let's get into episode one, shall we? Where did, where did this all begin for Dexter in series two? So for me, Andy, I really like this intro sequence because... If you recall in season one, he's driving down um, whatever you call it in Miami. I don't know, like the the seafront, and this was very similar. You know, it was so similar to the opening of episode one in season one that I actually stopped and made sure I didn't load up the episode one of season one because I've done that before. Um, so I did like that um, that car intro sequence. Yeah, it was a nice callback, wasn't it? Just to kind of. Um almost reset you know that we're starting again with a new story for Dexter I thought it was, it was really well done wasn't it when you see the next bit he's continuing work you know working on the bowling team you can't you could say it's working because it's his kind of disguise of being a regular guy I don't think he necessarily likes bowling because um, there's a comment later on in the season um, that he, he mentions oh it looks like I've got to go bowling again so I don't know if he necessarily really enjoys it. I don't know if, if it's something different in the books, Andy, that he does enjoy it, but that's the feeling I get that it's just kind of part of his cover story that he's doing. And he, he makes a mention, doesn't he, how many days um, since he killed his brother. Yeah, 38 days since he killed his brother. It's almost like he's a, he's an addict going cold turkey. Indeed, yeah. So um, it's, it's interesting that he's gone 38 days, though, I found as well. I it doesn't feel like a long time though, does it? I was I was trying to do some quick maths um, when I looked at his slide box because we guessed what did we guess about thirty thirty five slides were in his box when we when we last saw it. Um, so if if he's already having these urges and it's only been thirty eight days, and then you know how long, how often does he need to kill to satisfy that need? Is it you now one a month, two a month? Because even if it's one a month, that's only. You know, he's got three years worth of kills and he's, you know, he's a fully grown man at this point. So um, I'm not sure that adds up. Yeah. And obviously we're tracking kill count. So make sure you stay until the end when we, we go through those. Andy, I, I apologies if this is covered, but 
I don't recall if it ever explains that the the blood splatter case is necessarily his first one. I'm, I'm making the assumption that he potentially just fills them up and then puts them to some one side maybe. I don't necessarily think that might be the first one unless it is and I've, I've missed it. I don't know. That's a good. That's a good point. Um, I've I've kind of made the assumption that all his kills are in that one box, because otherwise, where would the others be? Or has he got a bunch of kills where he didn't take the slides? And again, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Yeah, because I don't. Yeah, because I don't know when he first started kind of collecting trophies, because you know, in season one, where you see him kill the nurse who's responsible for. Um, tried to kill Harry um, a bit faster I don't recall him taking any kind of samples and maybe he only started doing samples when he moved into that field professionally maybe yeah Yeah. a lot of unanswered questions there but uh, I'm sure some of them may come to pass as as the series progresses but uh, what were some of your other notes and, and thoughts on episode one I mean, one of the things that I think it tidies up quite quickly is that Batista, um, his wife has left him because obviously in season one, they're, they're separated. But then at the end of season one, you know, after he's attacked, you think maybe there's going to be some reconciliation. But it, it's settled quite quickly and revealed in episode one that, that that's not the case. She has left him. Yeah, they did look to be... So he's on the market Yeah, again. there did look to be some sort of false hope, didn't they, in series one for... For Batista, or he was certainly clinging to, to some hope, wasn't he? Yeah, and Andy, another point, um, kind of leading on to, where you asked about how season one ended. So we find out Dokes is still following Dexter, and if I recall, is that part of how season one was ending, where he kind of looked. That's when he kind of realised that Dokes. I'm just thinking that last bit. He kind of, you know, when he looks down the road, is he? Is it when he leaves Rita's house? Or not, I can't remember. And that's when he kind of clocks that Dokes is still... Dokes is like there, He's done yeah. the ice track killer, but he, he's still got that kind of um, Dokes situation to resolve. He's still got, yeah, he's still got those suspicions. And that really explains the 38 days, doesn't it? It's not that he's yes, yeah. satisfied his urges, it's that he just doesn't get the chance to kill because his Dokes is on his tail the whole time. And 38 days, um, Dokes is um, relentless because we see, we're seeing um, throughout season two, um, he's he's not going away, is he? Or not going away easily. It doesn't doesn't seem to be the case. But he does, uh, Dexter does get a, another victim in mind, doesn't he? Um, finally gets some free time. So I'm, I'm trying to think how he how he got away from Dokes. Um, to to uh, try and enable this first kill of the series or potential kill of the series. I I I don't know if I'm getting confused, Andy, but I remember. I don't know if it's this episode or another episode where he sees Dokes in the car park and he's walking into the bowling bit and says, "Oh, I'm just going to like get some practice. You can come and watch me if you want." And I think Dokes kind of just looks and thinks, "Oh, I'll just go." Because it, yeah. like Dexter walks in, but I don't, can't remember if it's this episode or if it's a, a different episode. I, I think it might be this one. I, I'm also thinking, did he slash his tires at some point? But I think that might be a later episode. I think that might yes, be. that was later. Yeah. yeah. So I think this was just Dokes is bored and gives him the night off. Yes, definitely. Now, I, I, I a little observation, Andy. I don't, I don't want to get a bit pervy, but I one of the things I find fascinating is Rita's 
kind of how she involves throughout the seasons in Dexter because she's looking really smoking hot in this opening episode in season two. Very different to how we see her in season one. Yeah, she was very mild-mannered and polite and kind of prim and proper almost, wasn't she, in series one? But uh, yeah, the the heat in Miami has certainly been turned up as a result of Rita's appearance here. Yeah, and so Andy, who who's next... Um, Victim for Dexter. Well, we've got the blind voodoo priest, is he? Or kind of high priest. Was the attempt that uh, that Dexter had. But um, he's off his game, isn't he? He just can't kill him. No, and it's, it's probably the first time we've seen Dexter like this, isn't it? Performance anxiety, I believe it's called. <laughs> yes. Yes, we've all been there, I understand. But he he he's not so in in this episode, Andy. It's not for the want of trying, is it? Because you have got your blind voodoo guy, and then you've got a a giant of a man. Is my note, but you've actually you recalled his proper name. My my comment was the a giant was my note. He is a giant. His name is Little Gino, and he's not so little, is he? Um, but he also can't go through with this kill as well, can he? He can't. And Andy, I've got a little fact about Little Gino, which I I haven't shared with you. So this is um, I'm going to reveal reveal it to you now. So Little Gino um, is played by an actor called Matt um, Willig. Now he's an American football player, so that that bit's not really interesting. However, he also played Andre the Giant in a TV show, Young Rock. Did you know that? See I how it brought wrestling yeah, into you? See what you did there. I did not know that. That's uh, that's fascinating. I've not I've not seen Young Rock. I'm assuming it's about the Rock, <laughs> the Young it Rock, because I've not seen it, it either. Is. I've I've heard many things about it. I've heard how entertaining it is, and also how factually inaccurate it is as well. <laughs> All right. Does the Rock appear in the Young Rock? Um, I I believe he may narrate, and I also think there are like flash forward scenes of where he is an older version of himself in the future and he's running for president or something <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me you know yeah i've i've no i've not seen it but uh I, i've heard mixed mixed reviews about it okay yeah i thought that little wrestling nugget you'd you'd enjoy now we also find so rita also finds out that paul dies in prison well he you find out actually he's he's murdered, but yeah. So Paul is out of the picture because, again, that's a kind of thing in season one. He gets put away again, and you think maybe in season two is he going to be a bit of a problem for Dexter? But that's been kind of sorted out in episode one, nice and tidy. Dexter doesn't have to worry about him anymore. Yeah, that's it. It proposes not proposes. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know, I'll think of a different sentence. It uh, creates, there we go, that's a better word, it creates a different dynamic, doesn't it? Because Paul was a, a thorn in Dexter's side towards the, the latter part of season one. Then obviously he went to prison, and you know, did Dexter have something to do with it? We know he does, but Rita at this point is not sure, and now he's dead, so it's making Rita very conflicted, but it certainly helps Dexter out, one less problem for him to solve. And how how does this episode end, Andy, do you recall? Well, things are kind of hunky-dory, aren't they, at the moment? Apart from Dexter's um, performance anxiety, because uh, I I made a note that he 
he can't do the killing, but he also struggles in the bedroom as well at some point because, you know, he's completely off his game. And things are not going to be helped by the fact that there is this new killer has emerged because there's at least 30 bags containing body parts that are found. And this is a big news case. Uh, but, of course, we know, and Dexter knows, who put those parts in the bags in the first place. So uh, it's a very good way to end episode one, because now Dexter is going to be hunting Dexter. Indeed. Indeed. And just to provide a, a summary, there are no kills in the kill count for this episode. So a slow start for Dexter in episode one. Now, episode two is called Waiting to Exhale. So, Andy, do you want to kick things off? Yeah, so uh, on the back of that, Dexter's still off his game. Um I think there's mention the fact that he he's feeling guilt, so he's he's kind of got this human emotion, which uh, he's struggling to to comprehend, doesn't he? He is, yeah, definitely. And um, it's it's been a, not a great start for season two for Dexter. Hopefully, he's going to turn it around. In in this episode as well, we we see the new lieutenant who I can't remember her name. Is it Esme? Esme. That sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, she's struggling to juggle her kind of personal life and work as well. Yeah, so of course she took over from uh, from the Guerta who was demoted after her bumbled handling of the ice truck killer case. Um, now there's a these these notes may not be any sort of order, so feel free to jump in at any point. But one thing I noted quite early doors was that Dexter was giving some advice, quote unquote, to Rita on how to deal with the Paul situation she wasn't happy about that felt like he was interfering it seemed yeah nothing's going right for Dexter yeah because it was about the funeral and the cost wasn't it as well so nothing's going for you know going right for Dexter you feel I'm starting to feel sorry for him um already in this season yeah I think he he was just kind of like well he's dead who cares sort of attitude wasn't he because you know he's a junk and a loser but Rita was like no hang on this is the father of my children he needs a proper send-off. So I think that created a little bit of conflict in Dexter's personal life. Um, but um, in his professional life, we now have this case of the Bay Harbor Butcher. Uh, Miami, Miami PD are not going to be able to handle this on their own. Though. They've brought in some outside help. They've, they've brought in Frank Lundy, who's a super agent in tracking serial killers, if I recall. And... He, he he doesn't come alone, Andy. He's no, he's got quite the entourage. I think is it Masuka? Like mentions that he's he's kind of an FBI rock star, isn't he? Yes, yeah, yeah, he is. And it's we're going to see him throughout season two, and maybe in future seasons. Well, let's watch this space. Yeah. Now, little Chino is still on the prowl. Um, Dexter needs to close that loophole, doesn't he? He does, but Andy, I don't know what you thought about this because you see Dexter trying to take down little Chino, but he, he just messes this up again because you notice, well, you, you don't notice because they, they are well hidden, but Dexter doesn't realise that actually there's some henchmen waiting for him. Yeah, he's. Um, this is where things start to get quite stressful as a viewer because you're thinking he's going to come a cropper here, isn't he? I made, I made a note here on a particular scene where I think Dexter goes to, like, there's a house party or something happening in, um, I don't know if it's at Chino's house or well, Chino is there with with his uh, his brethren. Um, and Dexter has to hide. He has to get away. 
um, and you just see him down the the sewers. And I uh, the mo- the note I made because of the visual was: is this Dexter or is this Pennywise? I found that um, <laughs> really funny, Andy, because I had the same thought about Pennywise, but also my 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 mind jumped to teenage Min- teenage mutant ninja turtles because they love a, a good sewer um, as well, and we we do have poo um we do have paul's funeral as well at at some point so um we do have that yes uh, dexter is there to support rita and the kids i think uh, i've not made this note but if memory serves correctly doesn't she kind of confront him at the funeral or not long after the funeral basically saying what what was your involvement yeah yeah you're right yeah yeah yes you're right because that's where he he tells rita he has an addiction Ah uh, yes, of course. So this is this is kind of how we've, we've probably jumped ahead. I think this is how the episode ends, isn't it? Where he she confronts him with like, "How did you know how much heroin to overdose him with?" and blah blah blah. And uh, I don't know if he's thinking on his feet or whether he's just agreeing to it because Rita puts the suggestion. Because I think she just asks him outright, doesn't she? Are, are you an addict? And he's like, "Yeah, I'm an addict." Rather than yeah, t- telling he him doesn't the truth. actually say yeah, but yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't lie per se does he because you don't see he's a drug addict or anything he just says um i'm an addict so you said we jumped ahead andy what what have we missed well i wanted to just touch on deb not like that um but um obviously if we remember back to series one obviously she was engaged to the ice truck killer so um she's she's going through a rough time of things she chases down a kid at one point and makes him piss his pants because she goes a bit too rough with him but uh there was a very funny quote at some point where she arrives in the office, trips over someone's bag, and uh, I believe she says something like, which fucking asshole left this bag there? And it turns out it was Lundy. And uh, he turns to her and says, it's special agent fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, because that's the bit where then he takes his bag and opens it up and he's like, I don't know, his drink or soup is leaked. Yeah. In his suit, yeah. But yeah, way to make that a good is. first impression, Deb. <laughs> And um, eventually, though, Dexter does get little Chino. So he does get his, his man in the end. He is back in the game. So, yeah, one one kill for this episode, if uh, for those counting along at home. But uh, the story is advancing at quite a pace by the time episode two ends. Moving on to episode three, which um, is An Inconvenient Lie, is the title. My my first note, if I, if I may jump in at this point, my first note is Rita... It's turned into a bit of a nag, hasn't she? Yeah, so um, I made a comment that she's she's really hot in um, an early episode, and now she is nagging Dexter. And that kind of forces Dexter to attend the addiction group as well. And he doesn't stay until the end, though. No, he doesn't, because uh, Rita remarks, you know, where's your chip? That's the, uh, that's the telltale sign. Yeah, and you would have thought Dexter, you would have thought you would have done a bit of research about that. I mean, I've, I've never been to any kind of addiction group, and I kind of know. But I don't know if that's an American thing. I wonder if they have that in this country. Maybe one of us needs to attend an addiction group. Well, I was, was going to go to the uh, premature ejaculation group, <laughs> but it turns out it's tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, we we do see that Lundy is picking his special investigation team and we find out deb is on 
the team and Misuka makes it on and not Dexter. Yes, that's uh, that's interesting. But I think I'm trying to think back. Did Dexter want in on the team because then I guess he could control things from the inside, or is it not really mentioned? I think I think he's there's a bit of concern, isn't there, that because he's not part of the task force, that he's not going to be able to know what's going on. So how close are they going to be to him? But Masuka isn't very. Um discreet about Finn so Dexter throughout this season will find out Finn's that Misuka um, has quite openly tells him um, as well and um, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here Andy but you know I mentioned uh, Dexter attends the addiction group um, but he does attend the group again and this time he does get the chip and he does go for a coffee um, with a new friend and um, she starts talking about the dark passenger so who's this new friend, Andy? This new this new friend we find out is Lila. We don't know much about her at this stage. Um, she, Just that she's English. <laughs> she is clearly English by by her accent. Um, bit of a bit of a mystery character at this point, but uh, something tells me she's going to play a bigger part in in this season. But um, we shall see how that goes along. Um, Touching on some other characters that we're, we're following, so Deb still struggling. Lundy gives her a bit of a pep talk because I think she's a bit surprised that she's on the team. Um, at this stage, and again, I'm, maybe I'm jumping ahead because it's been a little while since I watched these back. Um, is she already having second thoughts at this stage about whether she wants to be on the team or needs to be on the team? And I think that's why Lundy's kind of um, trying to jeer up a little bit, isn't he? Yeah, you're right. That yeah, she. I don't know. If she explicit. I fi- yeah, she actually does explicitly ask to be taken off from memory, and like you said, um, he manages to um, convince her not to. But also um, an interesting point, Andy. Dexter has his next target. So we've had a, a couple of episodes where things don't go quite well, but then in the, the last episode, it does. He, he manages to get, you know, his his kill and he's got his eyes um set on a used car salesman he has a used car salesman who seems to take advantage of of young women and and their credit status um for his own personal gains i thought this was quite an interesting first interaction that he went on almost like a fact-finding mission didn't he to see just how bad this guy is and maybe get you know, get close to him, and he ended up buying a new car. That's what I was going to say. The thing I found about funnier was that that he ends up buying a new car, which is like a, a people carrier, and then he keeps it for pretty much all season. Yeah, as well. It turns out to be pretty useful in the end, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Um, does. One one other note I've made again, maybe jumping a little bit out of order, but um, I've said the note I've written is Maria had an open goal, but she didn't take it. Now this is because the new lieutenant um seems to be struggling doesn't she balancing professional and personal life she's got um suspicions that her fiance or boyfriend is cheating on her and he keeps uh giving her a lot of grief and the captain's noticed and the captain i think comes to maria and basically says you know how's she doing and i think he's looking for her to kind of throw her under the bus a little bit but she doesn't she's like no things she's going all right so maybe she's got her back after all Maybe, yeah, maybe she's um, being a team player and not being selfish. But I think jumping back, Andy, to the addiction group, this is where Dokes finds him at the group. So now, Dokes, is he going to be happy that 
um, Dexter's kind of got this ad- addiction because he he does see something like um, I knew there was something about you or and you know he, he then says something about there, there's other people in the force that have um, drink drink or drug um, issues so um, Dexter I think he even smiles at that point when he realizes what's happened yeah th- this. At this point, you know, without giving too much in my of spoilers, at this point it seems like the Dexter versus Dokes rivalry is called off. You know, Dokes finds Dexter weirdo as a weirdo and, uh, you know, something off, off about him. He's a, he follows him to the group and finds him there. And it almost like, I, I don't, I can't, I've not written down quotes or anything, but it's almost like he's saying to Dexter, oh, that explains why you're such a weirdo because <laughs> you're an addict. Just stay out of my way, sort of thing. I think you might maybe even stay, say something like, just stay clean and stay out of my way, something along those lines. So that kind of draws a line under that now. So, so Dokes and Dexter are now back on the same side, and all's, all's hunky dory, isn't it? Yeah, and this is the one, Andy, where he does slash the tyre of Dokes's because Doke then makes a comment about covering the cost of his new tyre. Yes, indeed. But um, yeah, he'll pay for the tyre and they'll live happily ever after. So thankfully. Dokes is off Dexter's back, isn't he? Well, Dokes is off Dexter's back, but Rita is going to be back on Dexter's back because we have this really dramatic zoom-in effect, which I thought, Andy, was over the top. I don't know what you thought. So you see Dexter um, talking to his new um, mentor, sponsor, and he... And someone, I think it's a bloke, moves out the way and it reveals this gorgeous English dark-haired lady and Rita isn't impressed. And then the camera just zooms in really close to Rita and I thought, I thought, oh my gosh, what's happening there? That was a bit over the top. Yeah, the green-eyed monster. She's jealous. That's what that is. Yeah, but she's been pushing him. She's pretty much pushed him into another woman's arms. Now... Just before we move on, we had a, a one kill. So, well, we, Dexter, did get the one kill, and that was a used car salesman. So later on, we're going to go through and tally everything up and how many kills it got throughout. So before we do that, though, let's move on to episode four, and it's called See-Through. Yeah, the first note I wrote for this is that Dexter's still paranoid. And I guess it's not so much of dokes now, is it? But I guess it's the case and everything around it because they are hunting the Bay Harbor Butcher, and we all know that that is Dexter. Yeah, there must be lots of pressure on Dexter at the moment. You know, we've um, we've had Dokes, we've had Rita, we've got um, the Behar Butcher case kind of lingering on as well. So he's getting lots of um, external pressure. And like you said, he's had performance issues as well. So yeah, things aren't going great for Dexter. Lila seems to be good news for him. Or at least he thinks so. But you can just tell, can't you, this that as a as a viewer, there's something not quite right about Lila. At this stage you don't really know what, but I can just tell she's bad news. She is, and you find out she's an artist, and you also find out Dexter goes to her, her apartment. Um and then she she goes on a, a mission and I can't she's not no, he's not driving, but she, she has to go um he has to go with um Lila. And we see her stealing various metal pieces from um, people's houses, apartments. And then also there's a bit where she runs into this kind of metal bollard, um, I think you'd call it. And then they steal that as well. So 
Dexter is someone that likes to kind of fly under the radar and she is the complete opposite and you know this kind of behavior isn't great for for Dexter and also just before this we we see the chief and um Lundy kind of clashing a bit how to take things forward because the chief he really loves the public engagement doesn't he getting his face out there and in the season one we see him taking credit and for the work that they're doing that which myths off um, Maria and the, the chief wants to go public with the info that we, we find out that the bodies are either people that have been convicted for murder or have been tried for murder as well don't we Yes, there's um, there's a definite. Would you say it's a power struggle? There, there does seem to be a little bit of conflict between between Lundy and Captain Matthews, but uh, I think that, I think they're trying to play nicely, aren't they? Yeah, di- different ways of working, isn't there? Because I suppose Lundy, he he doesn't have to kind of think about the the political kind of side of things. He just ch- gets dropped in, doesn't he? Different places in America to sort out the crime. He, he doesn't necessarily have to worry about the, the the public perception or thinking about long-term career within that area where the chief, like I said, de- definitely relishes the, um, the public recognition. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll let you take over in terms of what's happening with Dexter, but I'm, a couple of other comments that I made were from some other characters. Um, one character who is a real person, is my wife. She made this comment and that this series is definitely funnier than series one. Um, I've, I've not picked out any quotes from this particular episode, but there are a few throughout the series that I thought were quite amusing, including the, the aforementioned special agent, which uh, I thought was quite amusing. Um, and speaking of said special agent, Deb seems to be oversharing with Lundy. She's trying to get close to him and chat and... Um, uh, she she says the quote to him that she got laid big time when when talking about previous night's date. Yes, who, if I recall, she picked up in the gym. She did. Yes, I can't recall his name actually, but yeah, she she picked him up in the gym. But we a couple of other points that we see in this episode: Rita, uh, future mother-in-law, um, arrives, um, and there's this this tension between um, Rita and her mom as well we, we that kind of develops over the next few episodes um dexter as well he he does try to end things with lila um but it doesn't end as he was hoping because he ends up showing her the dead bodies in the morgue and i think he was hoping that would kind of scare her but it has the opposite effect on lila doesn't it it does yes uh, i wouldn't go as far as to say she was turned on by it but she had that um that wide-eyed look of fascination, didn't she? Definitely, definitely. And which prompts her to kiss Dexter goodbye. And if I recall, it was a good kiss on the lips. If, if not, I think it was a peck and then a kiss. It was um, It was too far. It was, I yeah, don't, it was definitely. I don't yeah, know at this far. stage if Dexter realised what had just happened there or that that was inappropriate behaviour. But it's definitely inappropriate to kiss someone like that yeah your sponsor definitely inappropriate to, yeah, to especially when sponsor. you know he's in a committed loving relationship as well indeed so lila knows what she's doing i'm not sure dexter does at this point yeah and 
you know, we, we haven't spoken about Dokes for a little while, and Dokes kills the bloke who killed the victim earlier. Now, Andy, can you remind me on this one? Because I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I turned off here or not. So, Dokes kills the bloke. Now, this bloke, I believed is the one that killed the woman. But I can't even <laughs> recall... Why did the bloke kill the woman? Because wasn't she married to someone that was in like the special forces? And I can't remember that. I'm having a bit of a um, mind. Was was she was she having an affair? Or am I confusing something completely different there? Or, do, you, do you know which one I mean? Where I know, he kills yeah, the bloke on the boat because he, he finds him on the boat, and that's. Um, let me find the, the bloke says, oh, will you do me a favour? Kind of, you know, uh, he says, like, let me have some time to get away. Or, you know, sort out some business. Why are you doing yeah. that? He mur- murdered his own... I'm not sure why, but, yeah, he murdered his own wife, didn't he? The uh, Oh, so the, it was his own wife, yeah. Yeah, the, the Wikipedia summary doesn't really give much more detail than that. Yeah, I can't remember. And like I said, I don't know if I just switched off at that point. So I missed that. Um, but it is later on, um, It you know, he does come clean because later on they make, um, um, Maria makes a comment that he's done a couple of um, kills, dokes. So it's not like he, he's trying to sweep this one under the carpet or something. But I, I like this next bit because we see Dexter kind of break into the police compound and he sabotages the morgue and he makes it look like a dump truck. So I liked how Finn's kind of um, ended there because he he was getting very worried about what they were potentially going to find in the morgue when they were examining the bodies. Yeah, if you ruin ruin the temperature, the atmosphere of this this makeshift morgue that they've built, it's going to destroy all the evidence. He'll be in the clear. That's his thinking, at least. And the way he does it is quite clever. Yeah, definitely. And this is where we get the reveal, Andy, don't we? Between um, Maria. You, I'll let you do this one, Andy, because you've alluded to it earlier um, about Luguetta. Yeah, this was a legitimate shocking moment to me, and I couldn't remember it from watching it the first time round. So when I saw this again, I uh, I did say WTF out loud. <laughs> um, so the, the, new, the new lieutenant, you know, she's been suspecting that her father's cheating on her. And he is cheating on her, with Maria, it turns out. And it's been all part of a plan that Maria had to try and, you know, get her job back and send Esme packing. And I, I was legitimately shocked by that. I, I, I did remember that one, Andy. So I, I, rem- I couldn't remember, I remember her working against Esme, but I, and I remembered it was something to do with a fella, um, but, yeah, she, she does fight dirty. So, Andy, how many kills did Dexter get in this episode? Uh, so, no no further kills in this episode, unless you count all the dead bodies in the morgue. But they're already dead. He's just ruined ruined corpses there, so then there's no new kills. So, let's move on to episode five, which is The Dark Defender. Where, where did this like name come it. from? Yeah, go on. Explain that to I see. I like, the, I like this one, Andy, because I, I used to read comics. I like graphic novels. And this is a comic-based um, 
kind of episode, Dexter finds out that there's a comic based on the Dark Defender, which is obviously the Bay Harbor Butcher, and then he starts imagining saving his mum in this episode. He does, yeah, and I think it kind of helps him remember certain things, doesn't it? Because um, he's talking to Lila about his mum, and I don't think he's really opened up about what's happened before, but he seems to have this recall that there were three men involved, but he has no idea what happened to them. No, indeed, and um, that prompts Dexter and Lila to go on a little field trip, uh, a road trip. And um, that's very cosy, that is. And um, it's not something that I'm sure Rita will be happy about if she ever finds out. Yeah, he's not he's not very forthcoming with, uh, with this information, is he? But yeah, this is when he opens up to it. And again, I've made the note, you can just tell she's not quite right, but Dexter's is just completely blind to it. Like most men, um, they're oblivious when the opposite sex are flirting with him. I, I, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever flirted with me, to be honest. <laughs> I've never seen it. But, uh, I mean, Leela, uh, Leela, uh, Lila is quite obvious, though, isn't she? Because um, they're sharing a motel room, I think. I, don't, I mean, I think he claims it's an adjoining room later on, but I think uh, you know, there's a room. She pops off to the shower. Nothing wrong with that. You know, Miami's a hot place, you need to have a shower. But uh, she leaves the bath do- bathroom door open, doesn't she? And while she's getting undressed, she knows exactly what she's doing. Yes, he, he's getting under the hot under the collar because he's on the phone at this point, isn't he, talking to Rita? He is, yeah, as, as this naked woman is parading. Not parading in front of him, that's probably, but, you know, not so subtly revealing herself to him. Yeah, try to slowly seduce poor old Dexter. Move on to just, again, some of the other characters um, in in the episode. So Dokes and Maria are working together again, and he's figured out what's going on between her and Bertrand, which was the, uh, Lieutenant Esme's then fiance. So Dokes, Dokes is wise to her. I don't know if he's wise to her plan, but he knows what's going on, doesn't he? Yeah, she can't pull her the fast one on dokes because he does make a comment about i'm sure when she when he says it to her and he says i've worked with you for like two years or something so he he does know how she operates yeah and uh, before we get back to to the main story with what dexter's up to uh deb is um is still with the gym guy gabriel his name um but uh, she thinks he's betraying her because he's writing something about the ice princess so, of course, that's got to mean, you know, everything that's gone on with the ice truck killer and he's just using her to, you know, write a story and, you know, get financial gain from it. So she's not happy about that. Turns out, though, as the episode unfolds, he knows nothing about that because he's been out of the country for so many months and he's a children's writer. This is just a kid's book that he's writing. I was really confused about this, Andy, because I... Unless it's covered in a later season... I honestly thought that Gabrielle was actually a um, kind of like a stalker and he was like a, a serial killer groupie and I don't know why that came from. And I thought originally when she started to look at the emails, I thought she was going to find something about like him talking to his mates to say, oh, I slept with 
the you know the ice princess or whatever so when it turned out that it was a, a children's book i had totally forgotten about that so i generally thought that that there was some kind of um something going on with him and he was like a serial killer groupie that's that's the impression it gave to start with but yeah then uh, i'm not sure if it is i think it is genuinely he was a kids writer i don't know if there are yeah yeah, thing, yeah yeah it says later on yeah but yeah. uh i don't know if something happens in future series to um contradict that or not but uh yeah she's she's still in a fragile state isn't she but um back should we get back to to dexter because he's obviously his is the main focus and he's uh, he's with lila on this on this road trip um what were did you have any other notes you wanted to to share about what goes on yeah so the the only two notes really is that dexter and lila are sharing a moment as well and as part of this um lila's starting to open up as well and she's she's confessing that she burnt down a, a place killing someone uh, which is an, an important detail that might come up later in the season indeed yeah so they're, they're definitely getting closer and you know the purpose of this road trip was to for dexter to confront one of his mother's killers i think if memory serves correctly the three men i mentioned earlier they do some research two of them are either dead or in prison but one guy is running a bar so dexter goes to the bar tries to talk to him doesn't really work so you know he wants to kill him but uh lila manages to talk him down this whole thing is getting quite messy because this is again an opportunity to kill that he didn't take he yeah so obviously you know i've jumped a bit forward and have an eye on the because this is where he, he does come back and he is i believe he's got some blood on him and um, but he says it's not not his and that's when they're kind of laying on bed and um it's would you say it's intimate um it's definitely um she's kind of like stroking him and that's obviously the bit where she she shares about her confession she's she's comforting him comforting him yes, isn't that's she the word um level of appropriateness i guess to be determined it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's strange there's there's nothing obviously sexual but you know they are in a on the same bed in a motel room and he's upset and she's caressing him to try and calm him down there's there's levels to this i i think um i want to put all the blame on lila for this i'm not going to blame dexter here but my final note before we move on and i'm just trying to recall why i wrote it i think it's this is the marina isn't it doesn't he go to the marina where his boat's stored right at the end of the episode to clean his boat because despite the morgue um, incident in the previous episode they still think they can salvage something from the algae and it's only from certain marinas and it just so happens they've narrowed it down to one of the you know three i think it's three marinas and one of them is where dexter's boat is and where a lot of police have boats apparently so he goes to to clean away the evidence doesn't realize that this camera's been installed indeed and that's how that's how it ends but i the police over there must be um a nice little pay packet if if quite a few of them have boats <laughs> it must be a nice job to do nice work if you can get it i suppose and what's the situation with the rita's mom andy uh, at this point well, she's moving to Miami, isn't she? So, uh, you know, she came to visit and she just won't go away. 
just what you need another interfering woman um for dexter and that that does um bring this this episode to a close and zero kills again so i wonder how many and we're going to end up with because he's not being prolific um in this season so far and that brings us up to episode six and i love the title of this episode dex lies and videotape yeah my, my no, yeah it's a good it's a good um title my notes here are very random i might just go through a couple in no particular order but one thing i found quite amusing was masuka trying to explain his quote-unquote internet activity to lundy um masuka is is one of my favorite characters as well as well as dokes masuka is just uh he's just a funny dirty little bastard isn't he <laughs> he is funny and um yeah, I don't think Lundy is, is exactly warming up um, to Masuka. <laughs> he is, like you said, he, he's very dirty. He's quite, um, I would say, it's the kind of behaviour you get from men, maybe at college or or high school, uni, whatever it is in the, in America. He doesn't seem to have grown up, has he? No, no, not at all. He's, uh, yeah, he's, a, he's a teenage boy trapped in a man's body. I know the feeling. Because <laughs> I've not really grown up either. So, what what's your point, Andy? In, in terms so, of kicking this episode off? Yeah. So there's there's that. I think there's a question mark over whether Lundy is actually on to Dexter, because the way they they shoot it, I don't know if it's just like a TV trick, but they're, they're building tension, aren't they? Dex, it's like he's closing in on him, or at least Dexter's got that feeling he's closing. I think this is really really well done, how they kind of do that dynamic well i i agree but also we we do find out dokes is getting suspicious of dexter again because dokes i i didn't like this by by dokes really because dokes is openly talking to deb in the office about dexter's addiction problems and he realizes that dexter has been telling porkies but i think that was very underhanded by dokes to to be very open about it yeah very very presumptive that he would tell Deb about his supposed addictions. Of course, she's very surprised when he accuses him of such. Uh, but yeah, Dexter versus Dokes is back on. You're loving that, aren't you? Ah, uh, yeah, I love it. That's you know, m- more of that, please. That's uh, that's what I want to see. Um, let's talk about Lila because she's um, she's making her appearance felt in a number of ways, isn't she? In this episode. The first one being that uh, she comes round for dinner at uh, Rita and Dexter's, so uh, she gets to meet the family. It's not going to be awkward at all, is it? <laughs> it is so. It is so awkward, and Dexter must be, even though he plays it fairly cool. I I don't think it's really noticeable about it. I think there's there's a bit where she starts talking about Dexter's mom isn't it and he, he kind of like looks up kind of thing but yeah very very awkward but not as awkward as it's going to um get because rita pops around to dexter's place to kind of um gel it on and as they're gelling it on um lila leaves a voice message <laughs> on dexter's phone and he's about to either pick it up or knock it off and she says something like don't <laughs> and he, he just lays there doesn't he he don't move and that's where she starts saying about 
sharing a room and or share, you know going on a road trip um, together. Yeah, she's uh, she's really dropped him in it. Not only is I think she slags Gail off, she might have had a dig at, at Rita herself as well. And then yeah, wait till she finds out about us sharing a room together or something along those lines. And it's like, <laughs> oh boy. This is this is not going to end well, is it? I guess shall we shall we jump ahead because um, continuing on with this, um, Dexter and Rita have this big falling out. So Dexter goes to see Lila, doesn't he? Yeah. And uh, my, I'll give you, I'll give you my exact quote here. And um, for those who've seen the episode, you'll know what I mean. I put, "Oh Dexter, what have you done?" And then in brackets, because this is a this is an interesting question. You know, there's a there's a philosophical debate to be had here. Is this the equivalent of the Ross Rachel "We were on a break" moment? It could be, but he doesn't use it like that at all, does he? Because later on, he 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 goes to see Rita, and he says, she says something like, "Did you sleep with her?" And then he says. Oh, I can't remember the exact words that he used. I don't know if you remember. I, I think it was something like, did he say no? Not, Not that, that time. time. Say, yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, it is. It is. Um, he should have just used the Ross. We were on a break. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this is not a good way to, to end things uh, for this episode. Dexter's really dropped himself in it. Um, Let's uh, let's continue on. Um, we do get one one kill in this episode, uh, and I'm, I don't think we've either of us have made notes, have we? Oh, you, he gets you, a you kill the on note, the yeah. vigilante killer. The uh, the guy from the bar. He? Is it the guy from the bar? You know, the one who killed his mum. Yes, and it kind of goes back. To, it goes back to your point, Andy, where you see it's setting it up as Lundy is kind of. Um, suspicious why well, it is set it up to be suspicious of dexter because he actually goes on the crime scene and they're in um like a shipping container or maybe a train train um cabin whatever you call it it's yeah it's a disused and railway about thing, how isn't untidy it? he is isn't yeah, he yeah and um yeah so you, you think um because dexter says um Oh no, Lundy's seeing how precise he is and he turns and sees Dexter laying out all his equipment from his bag. But you're right, one kill and that's the vigilante killer. And then that moves us on to episode seven. Yeah, we're at the halfway point now. So this episode is called That Night a Forest Grew. And I did remember quite a bit of this episode, Andy. You know, with the the bit how it opens and the the bloke covered in blood. And I, I, I remembered, I recalled this as the one where he gives Doke some dodgy information. So I, as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, this is the bit where he kind of starts being a bit more proactive in his kind of battle with Dokes. Yeah, this, um, there's some good good things that happen here. And, and I guess it goes back to his, his code from Harry, you know. First point is don't get caught. So he's, he's fighting fire with fire a little bit here, isn't he? Um. Now, Lila is still in in town. She's still very much with Dexter. And I, I put my uh, my first note as a question. And uh, does Dexter have a new addiction? Lila. Yeah, indeed. Maybe, maybe. She Lila seems to be someone that kind of 
maybe understand Dexter more than Rita could understand Dexter. They, they, yeah, they seem to... spending a lot of time together. They are, and uh, he's uh, he's doing a lot of um, physical activity with her, isn't he? Certainly seems to be the case. Um, I'm jump, jumping around a little bit, there is uh, a scene where Lila is at Dexter's flat, and um, Deb is around. There's candles everywhere. Um, but I like the way that <laughs> Lila kind of introduces herself to to Deb, where she goes to the fridge for a drink and closes the fridge door, and Deb's looking at her and like, "What's going on?" Uh, but Lila's, you know, not in not in all her clothes, shall we say? And she introduces herself, and this is a quote: "Hi, I'm Lila. Part of my tits." <laughs> <laughs> yes, because then that's where she goes in to the bedroom, and Dexter's laying there. And all the, the aforementioned candles um, is in that room. Because at this point, Deb doesn't realise Rita and Dexter split up, does she? So this is a, a big shock um, to Deb. It's, yeah, it's all happening quite fast, isn't it? it yes, because we, we've got... Um, we, we find out Dokes is still investigating Dexter. So he, he's hot on Dexter's case. Um We've also got the the bit where Maria and Dokes are clashing over Dexter. I I find this intriguing, Andy, because I don't want to like do spoilers or jump in ahead. But Maria and and I suppose the whole police department, or especially that team, are aware that Dokes and Dexter have this issue. But I don't recall Maria having any inkling into Dexter until a later season. So I always find these bits in quite in, interesting, intriguing, because it's like Maria just doesn't kind of understand why Dokes has it in for Dexter. But obviously later on, she's going to get that kind of suspicion herself, doesn't she? Which I can't remember which season it is, but it's, you know, a, a big part of one of the later seasons. Yeah, at this point it's weird because obviously... Dokes and Maria are close friends and go way back, so you would think that naturally Maria would take his side. But as we saw through season one, she's very flirtatious with Dexter and has a bit of a soft spot for him. So there's a there's a bit of an internal conflict, but I, I would have said, just based on how we believe their friendship to be, that she would have taken Dokes aside, but that's certainly not the case. Because you would have thought, you know, being a, a police officer... You would have thought if you were Maria and your ex-partner had this kind of suspicion of a an, a colleague, you would like you know if you've been working with him for years and you've been an ex-partner of him, you'd think you you potentially kind of investigate and help him just to either pull it to bed and make Dokes kind of move on and not waste his time, or actually you know there could be something there. She kind of just um, kind of backs it away without any giving it real any kind of real thought, which is a bit. I think it does conflict with her being a a, a police officer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let Let's continue on uh, Dokes versus Dexter, shall we? Because this is an, a nice subplot that's going on. Um, so you mentioned obviously that Dexter gives Dokes some incorrect information. 
I think what Dexter does really well is is the whole blood report thing. So he give, the information he gives is basically this is what the blood report says. So then Dokes re- uses that information as part of his uh, investigation, and he arrests the wrong man, doesn't he? Whereas De- what Dexter's actually put in the report is that no, this is not the guy. This is this is something completely different, and it makes it makes Dokes look like a incompetent. So it's really well played, I think. Yeah, because he even manages to slip the the blood report um, on his desk as well, even though Dokes has asked, like, chased it up. But by that time, Dokes has gone to interview the suspect and Dexter then has left it on the kind of like the entry. I think he might pull it underneath one of the other reports or something. He doesn't just leave it on top. So he he's definitely um, being proactive and starting to kind of fight back because he's been, apart from slashing the tyre, he's been quite um, submissive really in this and letting Dokes kind of not necessarily get the upper hand, but kind of like, you know, like we said, 38 days, just keeping his head um, kind of under the radar. Yeah, it's like he's been avoiding confrontation and just trying to keep things smooth so far. But now he's on the offensive. And that leads to what is one of my favourite scenes of, of the entire series, actually. And that's the uh, the little chat that Dokes and Dexter have in, in Dexter's lab. It, yeah, and this is... <laughs> I, f- I found this really, really good because Dexter... Uh, initially I think he he thinks Dokes might be recording the conversation doesn't he, he kind of makes a comment about that but then Dokes says something and Dexter is then at ease that he he can't be recording the conversation, I don't know if it's like um, alluding to like entrapment or something and um, he he goes on the offensive um, physically uh, as well Andy Yeah, it's so good, I can't remember what he says to him but basically he gets right in Dokes' face, doesn't he? And basically says, you know, I've, I've, I'm I've got you. Yeah. <laughs> so something, yeah, you're in my back pocket. And just gives him a little headbutt. And then walks <laughs> out casually as if nothing happened. But, of course, he walks out from the privacy of his lab, where it's just the two of them, into the, do you call it the bullpen? Is that what they're, they yeah, would, would call it? Yeah, yeah, where all the other detectives and officers are busy at work or eating donuts or whatever it is that American police officers <laughs> do. Um, and then Dokes just attacks him, doesn't he? And it's a great scene. It is. It is a, a highlight, I think, this season. And um, it doesn't go well because um, Dokes gets suspended. So he has Dexter won this battle now. Dokes is potentially um, off the playing field. He's no, no longer going to be harassing Dexter. And Dexter can kind of focus on the the Bay Harbour Butcher um, case, which going back to the Bay Harbour Butcher case, Debs and Lundy um, share a kiss on the bench. And I made a little comment, (laughs) which is very different to your comment, because my comment was, a nice bit of simple piano score here, a nice romantic scene. And then what was your comment, Andy? Oh, yeah, that was nice. I, my comment, and I'll give it your word for word in my notes, <laughs> Deb and Lundy is weird and it's gross. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Every time they're on screen together, because my wife's been watching this series with me as well. Every time they're on screen together, she just shoots me this look of, 
pure and utter disgust. <laughs> uh, and I have to agree with that. This is uh, it's not the way yeah. God intended. <laughs> she could be, um, he could be a sugar daddy. He could be a sugar granddaddy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're not a, a supporter of um, large age gaps um, in a relationship, then, Andy. I, I am. I am all for two consenting adults or multiple consenting adults doing whatever it is they want to do. So I have no, I have no problem with the concept. I've got no problem with two people wanting to be happy. I do have a problem with an old dude and a young bird on my TV screen <laughs> doing the things that they're doing. I don't need to see it on my TV. Usually those kind of things are on your laptop screen or maybe your mobile phone screen. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just thought the contrast there where I'm, I'm getting romantic. I love that nice little bit of simple piano. Um, and then you're obviously the flip side of um, that comment. Now, I I, was, I just want to close this off, Andy, before you, you kind of close the episode down. Because L- Lila has been trying to get hold of Dexter um, as well throughout this episode a few times. And she manages to sell her artwork, but she's just miffed at Dexter. So this kind of grip, um, I don't know if, if, if it's manipulation kind of is um she's kind of losing that control over dexter and i don't know what your thoughts are here andy so she she ends up burning the the metal work piece now my comment was this is probably the first time that we kind of get this confirmation that she is being um, manipulating dexter but then i was thinking oh maybe that's kind of been evident before and i've not necessarily um, or it's not being as, as clear-cut and maybe hinted at, but I think this is the first definitive bit where, yeah, she's she's definitely like manipulating him or, you know, kind of um, play Dexter. Yeah, it's, it's been ramping up, hasn't it? So at, at this point, you know, Rita is Dexter's ex, but the kids are still fond of Dexter. I think he goes to, is it Cody's school play or recital or something? Like, obviously, Lila's not happy about that. But yeah, she's she's. You, we've said for a few episodes that she's there's something off with her. Bit hard work, obviously. She's ruined the relationship with Rita and Dexter. Now Re, um, Lila and Dexter are in a relationship of their own, but there's this possessiveness going on. But I think the the burning of the the art piece confirms that not only is she possessive and dangerous, but that she's got a bit of a screw loose because um, you know she mentioned an earlier fire could have been accidental she obviously showed somewhat remorse but now you're thinking hang on a minute was that fire accidental and all these kind of pieces are now slotting into place so uh very it's taken a very dark turn uh my my final note and then we'll move on to the next episode is um a suggestion for the title of this episode um now for those of you who have read the dexter books you know they'll they all have um, alliterative names. I've got, uh, I've got some on my shelf behind me. Just bear with me. And so we we have things like darkly dreaming Dexter, dearly devoted Dexter. I think this episode could have been called Dangerous Dead Dexter. <laughs> well, I will sign off with that, and just to confirm that there were no kills in episode seven. So episode eight is called Morning Comes.
So Andy, do you want to kick us off? Uh, my notes this episode are pretty much exclusively quotes. So I don't know if you want me to run a few some of those and then we'll start covering some of the uh, yeah the, the plot points. One of them's caught my eye um, uh, already. But one one that made me laugh out loud, and I've wrote the quote, but I've not I've not written down who said it or about who. So I'm struggling to think who it was. I think it might have been Masuka, who said that's exactly how Hitler walked, which um <laughs> which I thought was amusing. I think it might was it about Lundy? He said that. It must be, but I I don't recall that quote. Is this the one where Dexter is kind of being utilised a bit more? And it seems, Musaka? yeah, it seems to be worming his way in, or Masuka has that feeling he's worming his way in. So I think it's that, but I thought that was a funny quote. Um, another one that that made me laugh and I think this was Deb talking about Lila where she called her a gross English titty vampire um, and uh, another I just, yeah. it's, it was just one of those episodes where there was just so many uh, so many things but another another amusing one and then I'll pass over to you to get into some of the serious matter was um, I think this is uh, Masuka with Batista when they meet Lila and um Masuka says, "How come I get? A, how come you get a hug, and I get a pat on the nose?" And Batiste replies, "Because you're like a retarded puppy." <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I, some of those did make me make me laugh, Andy. I'll, I'll get onto um, one or two more in a bit, but um, I'll, I'll let yeah, you yeah. Um, advance so, the story a bit. Just a, just a couple of things. Um, Rita tells Dexter to keep away. So, it, you know, it, it's clear Dexter wants to move on. Now, Lundy starts to investigate the police department. So we know now that, um, well, we know that Dexter's obviously the Bay Harbor butcher. But Lundy's getting that suspicion now. And I thought this was really fascinating. And I didn't recall this. Lundy catches Dexter out regarding an old case. And the mistake he made um, with the uh, blood report, and which ultimately leads to the um, the villain um, getting off, and Dexter obviously then picks him up um, and kills him. Um, and Dexter explains it was overworked and made a mistake. Now, I personally thought that Dexter was a um, kind of an A star employee. And I didn't think he got anything wrong. So I, I found that quite surprising that he 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 made a mistake that was um, documented. Um, so I, I found that a bit of an interesting reveal. And he said, I don't know if you want to comment on that. I'm trying to think back. Did he? Is this one of those where he made a mistake on purpose so that he could be the one to kill him? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. But, but yeah, in but terms I was of... surprised that he did it on like paperwork. You know, something, um, something that could be, you know, potentially brought against well, him. It goes against you the know, whole it... "don't get caught." Yeah, mantra, yeah. Doesn't it? So, so that was um, surprising. And um, you see Dexter going bowling with um, Lila, and um, which obviously kind of leads into this date night that Andy mentioned with the boys. And Dexter is attacked by the bloke who killed his mum who I can't remember his name 
in the car park. Yeah, so I need to jump in and apologise because I think I mentioned earlier that he killed him earlier, but it wasn't. I was getting confused. Yeah, the person he killed in episode six was actually the mock killer who was claiming to be the Bay Harbor butcher, um, or a yes. vigilante version. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, he's a vigilante. Yeah, one, I yeah. think I made comment that it was. It was the. It was the man who killed his his mom. So I, uh, I made okay. a mistake there. I won't edit it out because I'll just apologise and say I, I was wrong. <laughs> this time, as a married man, Andy, it won't be the first time that you've had to apologise and admit that you're wrong um, to your spouse, like every oh, married yeah. man. Now, now I'm admitting to the to the worldwide public. I made a mistake, and I am now correcting it. Very good. Dokes learns about the bad lab report as well from Lundy, which now gets Dokes thinking, oh, you know, Dexter. Because he, he even makes a comment, doesn't he, that he wasn't aware of that because he, I think he says something like they just found out that it was thrown out or something, so they didn't realise um, it was to do with a bad lab report. And one more thing, um, Andy, from me is that Dokes breaks into um, Dexter's place. So Dokes is on the offensive now. Yeah, and he's found the blood, the blood slides. This this feels like game over in some regards. I mean, obviously, we've still got four episodes to go, but uh, this is quite a pivotal moment. This, this, Andy, so obviously we've watched this before, and this is one of the things I find frustrating is like, TV programs or films where obviously we know why they do it. But if you're in that situation, surely you would just take it to the police department or in this case, just phone up Maria. Why keep this to yourself? Because I know in terms of the storyline, but you know, in real life, you wouldn't do that, would you? You'd be documenting it or I know he obviously goes away. But you'd be, you'd be communicating that with someone because, you know, if you keep it to yourself, obviously things can go pear-shaped. I guess, I guess the only thing is he wants to build an, an absolutely airtight case against him. I guess that could be the only reason to not share at this point. But, but you're right. You would think something like this would be enough. Yeah, no. No, I think it's a valid point. But I think considering... He had worked with Maria, and you've got Maria looking out for him because she's tried to get him that job interview at the security firm as well, which I think she even says it was like a six-figure job offer. You'd think you'd be going to her and finding, you know, giving her some more information. Yeah, this, things are really starting to unravel now. I think let's let's end on the final point, and we find out that, or Dexter, sorry, finds out that Lila was the one that set him up in the bowling car park um, earlier on, and also he finds out that she's been messing with uh, with Rita in some regard. I'm trying to remember exactly how it goes goes down, but uh, the the quote. That I think this is an internal monologue quote, isn't it? Where he says, it's one thing to f*** with me, it's another to f*** with my ex-girlfriend who hates me. The Lila experiment is officially over. Apologies. Let's let's move on to episode 9, though, shall we? At this How point. many kills, Andy? Uh, we did have the one kill, and that was, of course, the man who 
killed uh, Dex as well. Jimenez, I believe his name was. So we're on to episode nine. Resistance is futile. Legueta is trying to get hold of Doak, so he, he's gone missing now. And I'm just going to pick out some, some points. And we know he's gone missing because he's going to... Um, Where's he gone, Andy? It's a Caribbean, isn't it? Uh, is it Haiti? Haiti, yeah, yeah. Yes, Haiti. I, yes. That's, yes, that's a Caribbean, yeah. I was thinking, is that Central America? But no, it's the Caribbean. And um, <laughs> much to the disdain of Andy, I bet, Deb and Lundy spent the night together. And Lundy then gets a, a lead on the case, which he keeps to himself. As, as well, he doesn't share that with Deb. And um, Lila goes for a drink with the boys and Dexter. So Andy, what other kind of fins? Because um, <laughs> I could see you, actually, Andy. Um, you, you've got an opinion on I've Deb got, and Lundy. I've got many spending opinions. Spending the night together. Yeah, so my wife orderly, kind of audibly kind of gasped or groaned. I kind of made a kind of noise because <laughs> Lund- Lundy was nude on screen, which um, I guess she doesn't want to see that, which, you know, fair enough. But it is gross that they're still together. Um, so you look forward to Andy when you're older with the missus? Yeah. You know what her reaction is going to be now? I mean, it's not too dissimilar now. Never mind when I, when I get to <laughs> Lundy's age. <laughs> um, but um, Dexter... Apologizes to Rita. I think he's kind of realized the error of his ways. Um, I won't read my next comment. It's, uh, it's a bit inappropriate. But I will say that one thing I noticed, he's being followed again, isn't he? And he thinks it's the FBI. Well, he, he is technically um, correct, isn't he? It is the FBI, you find out later. Um, Dexter discovers that bloodslides are missing. Um, and Dexter is then taken in by the Fed, so, you know, he's been followed, and now he's been taken in, and it is very much, oh no, you know, De- Dokes has obviously done something with the slides, and that's it, it's all over for him now, he, you know, that's it. This this is really well done, you know, in terms I of how, so, he, yeah. how he's picked up at his flat, his He's basically frog marched through the office, isn't it? And That's it. Yeah, you kind of yeah. you kind of get that impression that everyone's looking at him like, "Oh, we've caught him. It's over." And he's not obviously he's not in handcuffs. He's not been arrested, but it just the the way it all set is set up. You think, "Oh, this is over for Dexter. He's been caught. How's he going to get out of this one?" But then, of course, um, he then sees the slide box on Lundy's desk. That's this game over, right? But no, they think it's Dokes. And all of a sudden, game on again. It is. It is. Well done. This is it's, it's brilliant, brilliantly set up, Andy, as you say. Um, I just want to jump forward, Andy. And we see Dokes. He does confront Dexter. Because if I recall correctly, it's when he's on like the, um, the jetty. And he notices a, a bag is opened, doesn't he? And he kind of turns and... Dokes has a gun on Dexter as well, and there's a little, a little struggle here, a little fight um, between Dokes and Dexter. Yeah, Dexter 
um, is disposing of a body, isn't he? And Dokes catches him, and he's like, oh my god, you're the Bay Harbor Butcher. But, um, yeah, the the fight, they have a bit of a fight, they struggle, Dexter ends up getting shot, but still manages to overpower him, doesn't he? He does. He, Dexter can look, it af- can look after himself, and it goes back to a, an earlier episode when Dokes has obviously done the background research because he comments, doesn't he, that Dexter did some classes on a, some kind of self-defence martial arts, doesn't he? I can't remember what he said. But it's not just like the basic one, was it? It was like an advanced level. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's something along those lines. But, um, yeah, there's there's a bunch of stuff happening as well. We see, like, there's a flashback of um, Harry and Dexter going to see an electric chair killing. Um, Lila is obviously still around, like you mentioned. She goes for a drink with the boys and Dexter. Um, Batista's quite besotted with her, isn't he? That will that will reemerge in future episodes. Um, and also, Rita kind of wants him back. But uh, at the moment she calls, he's sat in the back of a car with some feds who are kind of... Are these protective detail or something at that point? So that's really, really awkward. And then the ending with uh, with Dokes and Dexter really kind of ramps things up even further. It does. And because of the situation with Dokes, there are zero kills in this episode. And it brings us nicely to episode 10. So there's not many episodes left now. And another great title, um, a play on words, play on a, a film that had a very similar name. There's something about Harry. Yeah, there's um, my first two points. One is Dexter's personal life. Him and Rita have, have agreed to quote unquote hang for a bit. I guess they're just going to take things slowly. I guess that what that, what that means. You know, I'm a long long time married, so I'm out of the dating game. I don't know what the kids say these days. Um, but on the professional side of things, I guess Dokes um, is locked up as as mentioned. But surely he can escape that cage. That didn't look like a particularly um, difficult cage to escape from. No, considering his, his ex-armed forces, you'd think he'd easily break out of that one. But it does, you know, you know, we do see Dexter return to his apartment, doesn't he? And he is um, nursing an injury. Um, this, if I could recall correctly, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is the first episode that we have a flashback where the actors that are playing Deb and Dexter are the the kind of adult version um, of. But now I'm questioning myself saying that because do we have an adult version of Dexter when Harry is having his hospital treatment? And we he's do, outside? yeah. Yeah, maybe it's the first one we see of Deb. I, can't, I just remember seeing it and I thought, oh... Deb and Dexter are the same, you know. I think it, I think it's um, a much younger version of them, isn't it? Or supposed to be? Aren't they like? They're yeah, trying, the crime trying scene, to, aren't they? They're trying to pass as like teenagers, even yeah. though they're not. So they've just given them some like, <laughs> dodgy wigs, haven't they? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's quite. It's funny that, isn't it? Yeah, make them look younger, just longer hair. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't work, <laughs> but <laughs> but you get the idea. Dexter's got a bit of an emo fringe thing going on. Hasn't yeah. <laughs> But that's that's kind of my comments, Andy, um, at the moment. Yeah, there's there's a few things happening. So obviously, Dokes is um, locked up. He he teases Dex about something to do with his dad before he passes out, 
and I just this whole thing is quite risky. Like, should he not just be killing dokes to get rid of the body? But no, you know, Dexter wants to know more. So there's there's a bit there that kind of is is to be resolved. And I guess it's it's what we later find out as as Dexter looks into further. It's linked to Harry's death, which he's thought all along was to do with heart disease, but that's not quite true, is it? It's not, and I didn't recall this one, Andy, so I thought it was a nice um, revelation, really, about what happened. And it is quite shocking for um, Dexter as well. Yeah, because we, we find out that Harry actually committed suicide. It was an overdose, but Matthews kept it quiet. Um, that will That will play out a little bit later on in the episode. But uh, I wanted to touch on Lila if I may. She's still around. She's still causing trouble. Um, We see her buying some roofies, which is a very strange thing to do. And later on, we also see Lila and Angel finally getting it on. I think this is what Angel's been wanting. He's been helping out with decorating. Um, He's obviously very attracted to her. And she likes it rough. And very quickly, this scene takes quite a dark turn and everything starts to kind of come into place as to why did she buy the roofies she's um you know she's saying she likes it rough we can see that this is heading down a really dark path yeah no um definitely i found it intriguing andy that you refer to as batista as angel and i refer to him as batista (laughs) Uh, it probably it probably flips and i guess some people, uh, he probably should be re- referred to as Angel, because you know of his of his Latino roots. But I don't know if that's just a a pronunciation thing. So uh, I'm I'm open to interpretation. Angel, Angel, Batista, whatever you want to call him. I I, lo- I love his wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I do like his hats. But there, there's also that revelation where we we find that. The, the flashback shows that the um, criminal got away because of a faulty warrant um, as well. And it kind of hits home because Dexter kills this drug criminal in front of Dokes. And then that prompts that flashback, doesn't he, to Dexter, which kind of about his dad walking in, walking in on kind of Dexter's kill room, doesn't he? Yeah. And um, the the end, or one of the last quotes, was, again, Dexter's internal monologue when he says, Harry walked in on what he created and he couldn't live with himself. Very poignant words, but uh, we're definitely getting towards the business end now. There was one kill in that episode, so now we're at the penultimate, episode 11, titled Left Turn Ahead. And a couple of points, Andy, I just want to um, not in get into it, kind of any major detail here, just kind of some highlights. Dokes is trying to mini- manipulate Dexter, getting in his head. That's happened a few times now with um, Lila as well. Talking of Lila, she, she tries to frame Batista for rape um, as well. So that's obviously the plan that she set out in um, the earlier episode. Um We've got a new character, brilliant name. Max Adams joins the special task force as well. And um, Lundy is under a bit of pressure um, there as well. And my last comment, um, 
And I thought, I thought it's fitting because I don't like Dokes, even though I think Dokes is a really good character in this season. Not, I didn't really like him in season one. I think it's quite fitting that he escapes the 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 cabin, and then he ends up getting um, into trouble with a couple of goons. And he, if I recall, he gets hit on the head. And I, I did have a little chuckle to myself, Andy, because I thought, ah, that's quite fitting. Yeah, so close yet so far, wasn't it? Um, going back to Lila, she had Dex down as her emergency contact, which is a bit weird, and she's uh, she's requested a rape kit. She's going too far, isn't she? Um, but the the line that she says, which really kind of shows that she is completely over the edge, is she refers to Dexter as as a real soulmate, and. Uh, mm, you know, I could argue she has a point because of what they've shared through earlier in the series, but no, it's it's not based on anything positive. Um, I, I do want to give you this quote because I thought it was quite amusing, and this is uh, Batista talking about uh, talking about Lila when he says to Dexter, you warned me about her, but my d*** wouldn't listen. <laughs> Which I, I, I found that quite amusing. Yeah, true words have not been said before. So... We've got. Is there anything else you want to cover, Andy? Well, we, we're getting we're getting to the business end, aren't we? Um, so you mentioned Dokes; he's been caught by the goons. Um, but of course, that's bad news for Dexter as well. So they've got to work together. And uh, Dexter actually ends up saving Dokes' life because, but it's in his own his own benefit. So he's got to cage him again. So it's like so close yet so far. Yeah, and he, he reinforces the cage as well, doesn't he, with uh, padlock yeah. chains from memory. He does, yeah. And um, it seems at one point that Dexter's going to turn himself in. You know, There's a lot of heart-to-heart conversations between Dexter and Dokes on, on the other side of the cage. Um, and he says to him, he just needs a day to get things in order. And it is... There's a few scenes where it does feel like he's ready to let go and he is going to finally turn himself in and this is going to be the end of Dexter. And uh, it's almost like he's saying goodbye, isn't it, in a lot of ways? It is. He, he's trying to um, leave everything nice and tidy, you know, because he's got his OCD. It's a long day, though, Andy, isn't it? Because he tries to do a lot of things and I'm thinking... Is this a, like a 24-hour period, not like a, a closer play period? He's, he's using the full 24 hours here. And I personally thought it, this had a great ending. So I don't know if there's anything you want to cover, but I, I love this cliffhanger ending. The ending was, was fantastic. Um, and it involves Lila. She finds Dokes. And... Uh, I mean, one of my questions is, why did Dex not clear his sat-nav? Because that's how he, she found him, because he'd got an address in his sat-nav. I mean, that just seems amateur hour stuff. But that was a really good ending, because at this point, it could go any number of ways. Dokes is locked up. Lila finds it. Dexter is not there. What is going to happen? You need to tune in to the final episode, don't you? Yes, which is next week. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's brilliant. We, we watch him on, on demand. And just a quick recap before we move on to the next episode. There were two kills in this episode. Now, the last episode of season two is episode 12. Now, I, I'm not happy with this title, episode title, because I, I do think it's a... Um, I don't know. I think it could be better. It's called The British Invasion. 
I'm not happy with that one. Yeah, they've uh, they've obviously run out of of good titles. So we're we're back where episode end eleven ended. Um, Lila to the rescue. Like, or is she? <laughs> Dokes must be like, you know, considering that he's just tried to escape, got caught by the goons. Now this young pretty lady has come to the cabin. Surely he's gonna get out now. He's like nothing will go for the um for Dokes. Uh, but uh, not the case because uh, I think your I've, I've just noted we I've seen that your note is is the same as mine in terms of what it tries to say, but you put yours more eloquently than than I did. I put kaboom. <laughs> that was my note. <laughs> Whereas your note actually explains what happened. <laughs> but I think yours is, is straight to the point, not fluffy or anything. I do... <laughs> the thing, I know it's not it's not funny, Andy, but it's... I don't think... Did we really need to have the the, the scene where um, we, we find the body? Because <laughs> I think, you know, for us... We we know Dokes is dead, but you, you do get that graphic scene of, and from memory, does he even have legs? Do you know? I think it's is it just a torso, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think, think it's so. just a torso. And if memory serves correctly as well, they don't identify him straight away. They find no. the body, and then later no. on, it's it's Dokes, isn't it? So it's kind of it play the I don't know the the way it plays out. You're almost thinking, well, maybe it's not Dokes. Maybe he did get away somehow, but no, he's dead. You can't, you can't survive an explosion like that. But, so yeah, so that's the end of Dokes. Um, it's not the end of, of proceedings, though, isn't it? There's still a few loose ends to tie up here. Yeah, we've got... Well, I, I want to talk about Lila. So, I don't know what... Do you, what do you call it, Andy? Because I made a note, a sea life centre. Uh, an aquarium of sorts. Yeah. yeah, I thought the aquarium... Sea life is maybe like brand name. Yes, and we're not advertised by the Sea Life Centre, just to be out there. Even though I probably go there once a year in good old Skegness. But I I thought it was good because they, they meet up. She obviously knows who he is. They meet up in public. Dexter, I, uh, you know, I don't know what your opinion is. I kind of knew he was stringing her along, obviously. Um and he essentially just tried to get her back to the apartment and away from all the public. But things don't go Dexter's way. Uh, no. Uh, enter Deb to ruin Dexter's plan. Um, it's, yeah, it was it was one of those where, I mean, you'll, you've seen my notes. Um, <laughs> in terms of where it goes. Um, I just put Dexter ruins Dexter, uh, Deb ruins Dexter's plan. Because it was looking so good at this point, like Dexter was going to tie up all the loose ends, Lila would be gone, and everything could get back to normal. Obviously, that's now not going to happen because uh, because Deb's around. Yes, it, it's gone um, pear shaped. Now, it I, I I haven't made any other comments here, Andy, on, in terms of that bit. My kind of comment is more about it is about Deb but it's about Lundy he's kind of moving on Bay Harbour butcher case is all done now all sorted out um, and Deb has this decision to make around does she go with Lundy does she go to the airport or does she stick behind and um, 
help Vita and Dexter because um, their kids have gone missing. They have indeed. And Lila again. You know, she's at Rita's. She drugs the nanny. She's got the kids. You know, this is this is not over as yet. Um, but it kind of makes the decision for Deb, doesn't it? She has to go and save save Rita and, and Dexter and the kids. So Lundy's off for his next job because, as you pointed out, the Bay Harbor Butcher case is closed. Dokes has been has been fingered for that particular crime. <laughs> Figuratively. Now, I I personally didn't remember this because Lila she escapes and I was thinking how does she escape? So we have the fire, don't we? At um Lila's place and Dexter manages to get the kids out um via the window. Um he's struggling to make it but he, he pulls through and he breaks through the the wall now lila makes her escape to paris and i couldn't remember how this ended until i saw her in paris and i remembered yeah so yeah did you is that when you kind of recall i I remember that she got yeah she got away i couldn't remember where it was they went but i knew that she went somewhere and dexter followed and that's exactly exactly what's happened you know dexter's tracked her down kills her it's all over. It kind of closes with Dokes having his funeral and not many people turn up. So from memory, Maria turns up, um, Dokes' mom and sisters and Dexter. And I think it's weird Dexter's turned up. It is. Because yeah. it's, you're kind of putting himself on the radar with Maria. Because I know obviously, obviously she suspected, well, she, you know, she knew Dokes suspected Dexter. But considering everything that is out in there in the public, why would he? It just looks a bit weird that he's gone to the actual funeral. He's kind of putting himself out there. Why? Why do you need to do that? Very strange, yeah. But um, it is very much over, isn't it? At this point, so there's one kill in in this episode, that being Lila. But the way it ends, there's no real cliffhanger or teaser for. For season three is there we're, we're kind of we have a clean cut off as it were Dexter would appreciate that a nice clean cut off <laughs> um, but there will be a season three and we're going to talk about that in next month's monthly special but that's the end of season two shall we do what we do here on the rating room and talk about some ratings and rankings yes let's do that so we've we've talked about kills for each episode so let's let's wrap it up overall so in season one we had seven dexter kills or an average of 0.58 per episode in season two we had eight so 0.67 so uh, season two was slightly more deadly than season one um let's let's do some rankings though now jay um of our own uh let's start with the main villain why don't you why don't you give us your ranking in terms of uh, main villain of season two versus season one. So I, I personally didn't really like Lila. So I've put her in at number two. I think Ice Truck Killer is my favourite out of the two villains that we've had in season one and season two in terms of main villains. Lila, I, I just think in terms of a villain, she was obviously manipulative, but 
she wasn't any well you could say psychologically she was damaging to Dexter but not from a, a physical um you know a presence she wasn't that intimidating or dangerous today even though she obviously tried to burn him alive but that's why I think I shot Killer if I had to go against one of those I'd definitely be picking Lila <laughs> than the Ice Truck Killer so I did like that and you know it, it turned out that the Ice Truck Killer is um Dexter's biological brother so I think that adds to his kind of um mystique um charisma in terms of being the main villain what about you Andy do you disagree or agree I agree with what you said but I disagree with your ranking I think uh, Lila was a, a a more I would say a more dangerous villain because of the psychological elements that she played and the manipulation and how she toyed with his emotions and he's you know basically emotionless I struck killer was about death and and killing and you know there obviously there's the family ties but it didn't it didn't go to the level of emotion that I think Lila did you know she she uncovered parts of Dexter that had not been seen she she exposed him and he opened himself up to her so he was very vulnerable in that regard whereas I don't think he was ever really vulnerable with the ice truck killer so I've I've got Lila slightly ahead in my rankings as a as a a more ominous and dangerous villain I think that that's fair comments there Andy and the, uh, the when you were saying about um, kind of manipulating Dexter, I think by the end of the season, it's Dexter that's trying to manipulate her, trying to get her back to the apartment on her own. And obviously, in the end, um, she does cotton on in Texas bag. Um, but moving on, I, I I didn't struggle with this one, Andy. So this is the season. So this is where we're ranking um, each of the seasons and giving it a rating out of 10. So for me, season two of Dexter was an an 8 out of 10, a solid 8. But I do... uh, I did, like I said, I don't necessarily like Lila. I think she's... She's gorgeous. But she... The thing that I think saved this season was Dokes, even though... I don't like, didn't like Dokes in season one. I found him uh, quite interesting in season two. So for me, he kind of, kind of saved it um, in terms of the the ranking. He, he gave it, you know, he he pushed it to the eight, um, eight out of ten for me. So just a recap, I gave season one nine out of ten. So that means season two is in two. So in my little um, rankings, I got. One and two in one and two order, keeping nice things nice and tidy. What about you, Andy? What did you give season one as a as a reminder, and then therefore what's what ranking is season two? Uh, so, like you, I give season one nine out of ten. Fantastic opening to the show. Season two, I've also given nine out of ten, but I've ranked it slightly above season one. I think you know the combination of of Lila, Lila's character, the the extra depth that we got from Dexter's character. We saw new sides to him. We saw, we saw a layer that we've never really seen before. And I think also there was a lot of other subplots as well that were really, really interesting. Because he's not only going against Lila and trying to resolve that problem, she's also messed up his relationship with Rita, which is becoming ever more prevalent and ever more complicated. Then there's also this small matter of the Bay Harbor Butcher that they've got to try and resolve. 
So he's, he's effectively investigating himself, but he's got to make sure that he gets away with it. But then he's not on the task force, so how does he, how does he do that? And Dokes is on his case as well. There's a lot happening. There's a lot for him to deal with. Um, and it just made every episode must watch. And I just think the whole the whole thing just took it slightly above where where season one was. So a very very good start to life uh, um, in this this Dexter journey that we're on together. And season two has slightly improved on season one in my view, but both nine out of ten. So that kind of brings us to the end of this this marathon Christmas slash Dexter season two special which we called Dexter's Sleigh Ride, a festive forensic holiday. And I think that's quite fitting, considering the themes that we have spoken about over the last well, three hours or so now. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed what you heard from us today. And uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> I, just, I listened to Christmas songs today for um, the first time. Anyway back into it we're talking about christmas films and talking about dexter so you can send us any questions suggestions you know uh, is there any christmas films that you'd want us to to cover next year um that we haven't discussed this year um any kind of other feedback you might have we we do have social media channels or you can contact us via our email address the rating room at gmail.com you can also find us on our website www.theratingroom.com our YouTube channel, at The Rating Room. And in terms of social media, um, you can find us at The Rating Room. And make sure you subscribe to all our channels as well so you can stay up to date with the latest news and find out what episodes we are coming up and any kind of other monthly specials that we're going to cover. Yeah, I'll give you a, a bit of a taste of what's coming up in, in the next few weeks. So we're going to let you enjoy your Christmas. I hope you all have a fantastic time whatever it is you're doing and whatever it is you're celebrating in between christmas and new year we're finally going to bring you toby's interview where we talk all things tom hanks and then as we enter 2024 all new content of the rating room i've got a feeling jay it's going to be a really stellar 2024 in fact i think the first episode is not going to be stellar it's going to be interstellar Thank you.